But I have selfish reasons. My youngest son was forced to leave this country because of this Sonotso business. All right, I have to make arrangements to bring him back here safely, clear of all these false charges. But I'm a superstitious man. And if some unlucky accident should befall him, if he should get shot in the head by a police officer, or if he should hang himself in his jail cell, or if he's struck by a bolt of lightning, then I'm going to blame some of the people in this room. And then I do not forgive. Yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Rose, we're going, we don't need Rose. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! Good morning, Vietnam! What country you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? All right, all right, all right. These guys are 11. Very. How do you like them, man? The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. You're going to need a bigger potion. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. We love some movie characters, and sometimes the best way to get into the characters we love most is to dig deep into their motives, their calling, their sense of self, and talk about what they really, really want. This is movie typing, where we select, engage, and unveil the intentions and drive of the greatest characters on film. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado. With me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and personality typing expert. Hello. My man. Hey. We're talking movies, and movies need great guests. Yeah, absolutely. We have invited the fantastic Kieran Martin to join us today. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Hey, welcome. Kieran is the guy you want to talk to at a bar or a coffee shop about their opinions about all things pop culture. Kieran has the two best opinions I've ever heard, both on uh, what's the greatest album and what's the greatest movie. What is the greatest album, Kieran? Abbey Road. No! (laughs) (laughs) And this is what every single one of these conversations is like. Mm -hmm. Let me restate one of the answers that I got from you. Forever ago, it's the best album is the White Album, but you were but you do only oh, McCartney's tracks. Oh, okay, yes, but that's not a real album. <laughs> no, but yes, hypothetically, yeah, all of Paul's songs on the White Album, if you just take the songs yeah, he sure. wrote, put it together as one cohesive piece of work, that would be the greatest record of all time. Friends who have Spotify, you gotta do this. It's it is it's delightful. It's incredible. And that playlist is probably out there, right? I, I have made it. See? <laughs> it's searchable. It is on my Spotify. The McCartney White Album? I, I, it's literally just Paul's White Album. Okay. And you can yeah. find it. Boom. That's good. We can link that in the show notes as well, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> best movie, also best answer I've heard, which is, what is the best movie? The Godfather. Not Godfather Part 1, not Godfather Part 2, just The Godfather. Both movies are two parts of the same movie. It's just the same movie. It's the same movie. Well, if you haven't seen The Godfather, treat yourself. Get yourself some sort of scotch or wine or aperitif. It is the 50th anniversary of this film. It routinely pops up on all the lists. AFI, IMBD, 
the fine folks with the tomatoes. M- most interesting fact to me, these are the only two movies that have three actors all nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Both films have three nominations, and then the lead actor, both with Brando and with um, Pacino, end up being nominated for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. So it's, I found that all, yep. And all three of them are different. It's, it's Con Duvall and Pacino in the first one, and it's Getzo, Strasberg, and De Niro all in, uh, in the second one, and mm-hmm. De Niro wins. So I thought that was fun. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the only times uh, that uh, two actors have won an Oscar playing the same character. It had been an anomaly until recently when Joaquin Phoenix won for the Joker. And so there's two Joker Oscars out there now. So anyway, that's that's all the research I did on The Godfather and the Joker. That's the only two. Yeah. Yeah. Vito and and Joker. I love that. Mm -hmm. So the reason that we, we got really into this initially was something. I'm watching uh, the YouTubes, and I'm watching a Coppola interview on this, and he's talking about the 50th anniversary, and he's and somebody asked him, you know, what's the big thing here? And he said, the Godfather is the story of a king and his three sons, and one is his heart, and one is his mind, and one is his fury, and being the Enneagram nerd that I am... Yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I jumped right into that one. And he said, this is the story of succession. Uh, which of these three sons will take the throne. We might talk about a fourth son as well. I'm not sure why that fourth son always gets uh, just pushed to the side. Because it's a girl and nobody cares. No, see? You, just kidding, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that one. So we're going to jump into this movie with that kind of frame of reference in mind. So we're going to look at the king, we're going to look at his three sons and adopted son. Uh, so we're going to tackle five characters. And what we wanted to do was just talk about the scenes in The Godfather, where these characters are interacting with one another. So much to talk about here. And uh, Kieran comes with, I, mean, you, I imagine your VHS copy, your DVD, has been well-worn. Very much so. Do you have a VHS copy? I do. <laughs> I do have a VHS copy. That's awesome. Yep. And like an old one, too. There's I think. no other thing than an old one. Yeah. Let me rephrase. Uh, <laughs> a, uh, it came out as a box set. Uh-huh. And like during the advent of the VHS yeah. tape, and I have that that yeah. box set. I love that of the first two, awesome. Or excuse me, the movie in two VHSs, <laughs> <laughs> part one and part two. Part one and part two. My experience, I suppose, coming to your first experience of this movie. My first experience was I was in the library, and just going through DVDs at, at that point in time where there wasn't a lot online yet. You would go to the library to look for movies, and so I, don't know, I was just like. I've just never done it. And it was the summertime and just spent the afternoon, grabbed it, watched both of them back to back and just loved the hell out of it. It was a great experience. Was really depressed for a little while afterwards, yeah. but mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds about right. TJ has a more recent story. Well, I I know that I've seen these movies cuz my my grandfather was a huge movie watcher and like the TV was always on growing up. So I know I've seen these movies. I just don't remember watching them. So I intentionally saved it for when we would be preparing for this recording. So it would be really fresh. So I've only watched, I've watched the first part twice within the last month. And the second part I watched this morning. Come on. So 
It's it's very fresh. Very mind. fresh. Ready to I'm go. I'm excited. You got you got your first story. Yeah, the, the first time that I saw it was, um, I think I was probably 15 or so. And that box set that belonged to my mom. And she had a lot of really great old, old films that mm-hmm. I didn't really care about that were kind of mixed in with my um, the movies that I think I was watching at the time, which was like Ants and, you know, <laughs> weird kind of, you know, cartoons and yeah, whatnot. And uh, it was over the summer and I didn't really have anything to do. And so I kind of just made my way through some of these films. Um, one of them was Chinatown. I think that was the first one that I watched and was kind of blown away. I had been a, a Hitchcock fan all throughout growing up. And so then I watched Chinatown, loved it. And then I, f- I figured the next one should be The Godfather because I had heard people talk about it. And I think I watched it all said and done probably 15 times that summer. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing probably close to 10 rewatches a year Ooh. ever since. Wow. Come on. I mean, it's it's one of those movies for me that if I'm doing a, a chore in the house, yep. I can just put it on and listen to it. It's 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 one of those kind of movies for me. That's solid. That first one. I've watched the first one probably 20 times. I've only seen the second one twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just oh, love that the right? hell out of the first one. Well, so. that, like something that really struck me, especially because my viewing, my memorable viewing is so recent, it's I was surprised by how much it drew me in. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like it is really easy to watch old films and be sort of bored because they're slower. There's a lot more scenic shots. Like I don't like Westerns for this reason. I, I want to... I want things to happen. And in a lot of older films that the story is being told in a much slower way than we're used to. And, and I, this story is not fast at all, Mm -hmm. but it's told in such an intentional way that it really draws you in. It is a three hour film. It's very, it's a lot. It's a commitment to watch it, but it really does. It pulls you into the story and it, it draws you along the whole time. Well, you guys ready to get into this? Let's do it. Let's All do right, it. we're going to type these five characters, and then uh, we're going to just see how this this breathes. Um, I'm super excited for our, for our conversation. So we're going to start with Vito Corleone. Karen, what's the big idea for this character? When you think of this character as an archetype, as a you know, as the myth that the is myth, this yeah. character, uh, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I mean, I think uh, just sort of using the term "godfather" works in a, w- a, yeah. a way, just because that that term now has seeped itself so much into just our everyday lexicon. Yep. Even if you haven't seen The Godfather, if someone uses that term, you're gonna kind of have a general understanding of who that person is. So Vito is, uh, you know, he's the the patriarch of of a very, very, very important and very powerful mafia family. And one of the things that's really interesting about Coppola is that he he did create a character later on in part three, which we won't go into, that he wanted to have uh, be an amalgamation of sort of the main characteristic of all these five characters that we're going to talk about today. Um, and the one that he chose for Vito is cunning. Cunning, he is... Uh, unbelievably intelligent, his ability to look at the whole board, whole picture, and create a strategy to benefit himself and his family is pretty remarkable. He is also part of the old guard. He believes heavily in honor and loyalty. That's Vito. I love that you ended with virtues there, because that's having watched both of them just recently, the thing that really struck me is how courageous this person routinely like the high points of his story just strike me as just 
popping yeah. with a lot of courage. But so much to say here. We, when we did our Villains series, we added Vito to the mix. And we typed, TJ and I did about a year and a half ago, we typed Vito as an Enneagram 2. You want to talk about twos and specifically how it applies to this character? Yeah, twos are uh, twos are the type that they see themselves through the the big lens is that they see themselves through the way that other people see them, and they are very interested in in family, in connection, in they they gain their value from how other people want them around, and so they actually become these helpers. They become the, they're they're very good at reading what other people need, and so they they make decisions about. Like, how can I help this person fill these needs? How, how can I become so useful that people want me to stay around? And that, that is how I gain love. In our villain series, our, our, our big sort of big theme was that when characters, when, when people move into their security point in really unhealthy ways, that's where villainy arises. And so when twos move to a, a place of security when they are like when when they feel like they know what's going on, they're in charge of their lives, they they pick up some of these these things that that make them really unhealthy villains. So so Vito, who is the head of this family, he is in charge. He is large and in charge. He is the one person that can do the things he is he has holds a unique place and he holds a unique place in the affections of the people that are around him he surrounds himself with people that he wants to adore him and and not in a way that's like you're so great but in a way that like you care for me and you do me favors and i do you favors and like that's the favor currying is all over to behavior and Vito is a master at it. Yeah. That's what I see there too. This character is all relationships as currency. And what I've done for you is much more valuable than money. Uh, especially when you see De Niro's, uh, work in the, yep. in the second movie, the just, there is so much of, I remember what you've done for me and you're going to remember what I've done for you. And there's just an awareness of what has been owed. And that's really, what is most important. There's a image where De Niro shoots and kills a man and through that gains currency. Right. And it's, that's much more valuable than the hundred bucks in his pocket as it were. Yeah. Um, boom. Second character. I, I want to start with, with the adopted son. Is, <laughs> is Tom the oldest? I don't know if he's the oldest. It's not, it's not really, not really I mean, I think he's, he's supposed to be sort of the same age as Sonny. Yeah, uh, they're friends. Sense. You know, they he Sonny found him in the street, yeah. and uh, Vito took him in. So I think you, you're supposed to take away from it that they're basically the same age. Yeah, yeah. Talk so, about Tom. Yeah, so Tom is uh, the adopted son, and we just talked about it a little bit. Um, he was a good friend of Sonny's. He was a kid in the street, and Vito took him in and uh, raised him as if he was his own son. In the film, he operates as the family's lawyer and sort of um, as an interim, what's called a consigliere, which is sort of the advisor position in the mafia. The trait that Coppola talks about with Hagen is courage. He is, he's very courageous. He is incredibly loyal to the family. And I think that there's also a level at which 
because he is not blood and because he's not Sicilian as well, which is continues to be a running theme throughout the film mm-hmm. of how important it is to not only just be Italian, but to be Sicilian. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a Sicilian. He's, you know, I'm German Irish. Well, let me tell you something, my Kraut Mick friend. But so that he's not blood, he's not part of sort of the... He's in the family, but he's not in the family. Yeah, yeah, he's not in the... Yeah. Um, he knows his distinction because he's Tom Hagen. Exactly. Yeah. I think that there's always sort of this this level at which he has incredible loyalty and will do whatever it takes for the family and to always be accepted by the family. Yeah. Yep. Played by Robert Duvall, who routinely... Just shows up. I don't know that I could name a bad Robert Duvall mm-hmm. performance off the top of my head. And is the glue of this whole... The the first two movies work because of him. And I've mm. heard that the third one so. does not because... He's not in he's it. Not in it. <laughs> he's not in it. I routinely see this character as a nine. TJ had a different impression. I, I think... I saw a lot of sixness in this character. And I think there's there's a good conversation to be had on the line there uh, of between six and nine, like these two characters, these two types being on the line. Um, you can see a lot of similarity between them. And and the sixness coming forward as a, as a place of, like th- this, is, this is sort of his home. And then the nine elements being insecurity, I think that that seems like it fits a little bit better. Um, and, and especially knowing that, that Coppola saw him as... Vito's courage. I think that that six makes more sense in mm-hmm. that space. Yeah, I like him as a nine. Uh, a lot of the dialogue is going to come out of that comes out of Tom is about pacifying situations. He is a peacetime conciliary. He is um, very desirous of being included in a way that he wants his presence to matter, and he has made himself indispensable. And I see that as a nine quality. Yeah. Um, it is the case on the, you know, for sixes, we've talked about this in the past, especially in our, our villains series, uh, when we talked about sixes, that sixes will commonly become the number two mm-hmm. intentionally, especially in film, in fiction. Yeah. You see that that personality type comes in behind a bigger character, and that's certainly who Tom is very much in the first movie. Yeah. there uh, On that line, like, there's there's a lot of supportive his role is as a second it's it's a it's a number two role yeah and that's that's across both films that that's the role that he is trying to fill and the i i think you can see six and nine in that space there's a lot more in his like loyalty and and the way that he sort of intentionally sort of moves up against like the, the, the way that sixes sort of adopt a little bit of the aggression in order to be the number two. I don't see, you don't see a lot of nines doing that. Whereas like the, like settling into this position, I think he would be a lot more sort of behind the scenes as a nine in that role. But I, there's, it's an argument to be had for sure. Bang. Uh, one of the better arguments for six is is how much Tom will fight fairly uh, intensely with Sonny. Mm-hmm. And so let's jump into Sonny. What comes to your mind first when you when you think about Sonny? So Sonny being the oldest son of Vito, the uh, characteristic or trait that uh, Coppola uh, put on him is uh, his anger. Uh, he is the hothead. He is the... 
um, consistently fighting throughout the film. And uh, most of his screen time on the in the film is him as the acting Don. Um, and it's all about revenge. It's yeah. all about revenge. It's all about we got to hit him back. We have to, um, you know, we need to win. And the only way that we can win is through violence, retaliation, aggression. Hey, a hundred button men on the street 24 hours a day. That Turk shows one hair on his ass, he's dead. <laughs> and he is also in the film The Heir Apparent. He is the, the sort of the underboss, is would be the term I guess you could use. But there is tension in that role for him, even before sort of the the motions of the story really start to start to take place with Vito's attempted assassination. Yep, there's already tension between I, him and his father. I think it's it's very present even before that when when, sure. when they're meeting with Salazzo for the first time. I think that's the big one. That's and, and I mean, yeah. and that's a huge part of the storyline too with, uh, you know, going back to Vito, Vito is all about relationships and maintaining his power. Mm -hmm. How he does that is by his business is built around black market vices that are really, they're, they're not considered to be that bad. Right. right. I said that I would see because I heard that you were a serious man to be treated with respect. It's true, I have a lot of friends in politics. But they wouldn't be friendly very long if they knew my business was drugs instead of gambling, which they regard as a, a harmless vice. But drugs is a dirty business. Don't it, make, it doesn't make any difference to me what a man does for a living, I understand. But uh, your business is uh, a little dangerous. And um, his relationships are with senators and judges and, and politicians, and it allows him to, he's insulated himself into the power structure of the government right. and society, not just in this sort of you know, criminal underworld. And Salazzo's business, there is sort of, and this is, I think, another interesting theme of the film, is sort of the old world of, of pre-World War II yeah. and the immediate effect of post-World War II, mm -hmm. where America is just flush with cash, there is nobody standing in our way anymore, and now it's just all about making money. Yeah, um, and that's what Salazzo represents, and also I think Bazzini, the sort of rival Don. Yep, I think that's who they represent more so. Is just sort of this. It's not about loyalty. It's not about honor. It's not about you know doing business with honor. It's just about my paycheck. Mm -hmm. And of course, Vito disagrees with that. But in that meeting that they have with Salazzo. Sonny speaks out of turn and clearly shows interest, which right. is what I think is a big part of why Salazzo and Barzini's plan starts to go into motion. We kill the Don, then Sonny's on board, and then we can start distributing narcotics throughout New York City. Right. So I, it, it struck me the, the second time through that Vito's the only character who doesn't say something to the effect of it's not personal, it's strictly business. Mm -hmm. He, I think, makes everything very personal. And even, even Hyman Roth has a line that's of that sort in terms of when he's talking about the death of Mo Green. That this is the business we've chosen. I didn't ask who gave the order because it had nothing to do with business. And, yeah, anyway, I, I, that, that struck me. That here's the old world way. Here's the post-World War II, you know, power 
yeah. wealth effectiveness. Well, and I think also there's a level two at which they're uh, going back to this idea that Vito is the king or the aging king. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he in the first thirty minutes of the film, you know, when you're kind of introducing all these characters. Vito is at work, even though it's his daughter's wedding day. He is very much at work. He is meeting with people. He is building more relationships. He is, is, you know, getting more favors from people. And what's Sonny doing, his heir apparent, well, he's having an affair with a bridesmaid, and he's, you know, running around. He's kicking the, you know, crap out of uh, the photographers, the FBI photographer. Yep. Uh, And and Vito says, you know, where's Sonny? Yeah. You know, and Tom is there in the room. Tom is there right at, you know, at his right side as his consigliere. So I think that there's an interesting sort of level to that as well of, of really painting that image of Vito being the aging king who understands the responsibility of the role that he's in yep. and his heir not. And I, I think that this may not be an explicit theme or, or intentional throughout, but one of the things that I see, like speaking of personal versus business, I think that Vito is the one person who understands that the work that they're doing is always personal mm-hmm. and not just business. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is trying to pretend like you can have business without being without it being personal, except for Sonny. But Sonny doesn't know it. Yep, that's mm-hmm. it. In fact, we'll see that everybody else is envious of all the relationships that Vito has. He's too modest. He had all the judges and politicians in his pocket. Um, James Kahn, who just passed. Just died, yeah. Plays Sonny Corleone. Uh, only non-Italian, uh, correct, as a son? Uh, he's I, I a Jewish so. man. I believe so, yeah. yeah. I listened to one podcast recently that described Sonny as a penis wearing a shirt. <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly what he is. It's just going around, seeing what he can piss on or uh, do other things too. Well, and, and what's interesting, too, is, and, and this isn't explicit to the movies, but in the book, um, there is a discussion about sort of Vito's rise to power, and there was a a war that is based off of the first uh, Castellamere War, which was a real war that mm. happened between the real five families, in which, in real life, Lucky Luciano took control of sort of the commission, mm. uh, which is that scene where they are all sitting around the table, yeah. everybody. But during that war, it was Sonny that really, I mean, he was supposed to be a kid, 17, but he really distinguishes himself with Luca Brasi. Mm. They're, in a, they're going to the mattresses, and, yeah. he, and Sonny is just cleaning house. I mean, yeah. just taking everybody down. Because that's what he does best, yeah. you know? And so that is, it is in that wartime that makes him the underboss. Yeah. But of course, that's all, that, that, he's, he's a, a one-trick pony. Yeah, right, that's it. He has, he has nothing else that he can really offer the family. Um, this actually goes real well into typing Sonny, who seems to be the most obvious of all the characters. And we have Sonny as an eight. Yeah, it's the uh, one that everyone gets right. <laughs> the, uh, the eight who has one button they push, which is anger and struggles, struggles as it were, with intensity of experience and lust. Yeah. That's just all over this character. You got mm-hmm. thoughts on it? Yeah, penis wearing a shirt, I think, is a great <laughs> way to describe lust, especially if you can think about that in a way that's, like, not exclusively sexual. So, like, like we make jokes about how, like, guys thinking with their their other brain, and it's, like, because they're not really thinking. And I think that's that's a good way to describe especially unhealthy eights is that they're, they're just, like, following their base urges. Mm-hmm. And Sonny 
it, the eightness of this character is is baked in and so clear. It's like every every act of aggression is about revenge. He doesn't want to win the war. He wants to take revenge on his enemies. Yep. And he, he's not he's not thinking big enough to separate his vengeance from what actually needs to be done, which is why he he like even Vito acknowledges that he was a terrible dog. Right. And like he having having this affair with this woman and it's like everyone knows about this and he's still sneaking around including his wife right and it's like like all of this stuff like so much of his person is about aggression forward putting on a strong face he is the oldest son of one of the most powerful people in the world and obviously he needs to live up to that reputation and if he even said there is a line where he literally just says that where he's talking with tom uh, about, uh, I think it's right after they have, uh, they've killed Tatalia's oldest son. Um, and Hagen's kind of ripping him, ripping him a new one, mm-hmm. telling him, you know, this is going to destroy business. How are we going to, how are we going to be able to work? You know, everything, you know, the walls are kind of coming down on us. And, um, and that's when I think the first time the line is said, this is, it's, uh, this is business. It's not yep. personal. Not it's all out war. We go to the Some back. Some of the other families won't sit still. They never had me, Salazar. Your father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. Well, then business will have to suffer. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because it's not about but, business yeah, anymore. And, and I think eights. So many eights have this weird sort of like they are extremely self confident, but not self aware. And I think Sonny represents this in a really, really good, visible way of understanding that, like, he knows who he is, but he has no idea who he actually is. Mm-hmm. And, and he doesn't care. He's not self-aware and he doesn't care. But he is extremely self-confident. That's right. The, the idea that M- Michael got all the brains, as it were, and then you just take an eight with no self-reflection. And what, what, what would you get? It looks like that. And... Right. The fact that Sonny is really easily played in terms of his own death, the elevating vengeance, simply placing him in situations where he'll be easy to pick off. Yep. Downfall. Yep. Fourth is Fredo. Fredo, I think, is the Fredo. trickiest to, to type, but what's, mm. the, what's the skinny on Fredo? I think Fredo is sort of the atypical middle child. Yeah. Um, yeah. He very much seems to feel neglected. He wants to be recognized by his father by his brothers he wants to to be seen as being competent but oftentimes is very much not um he uh, the the characteristic that coppola uh, talks about with fredo is vulnerability he's an incredibly vulnerable character has he does have talents in the family um they're just don't they don't seem to be the talents that he wants they are talents that seem to make him feel emasculated mm. It's often, you know, he has a line where he says, you know, send Fredo off to manage this nightclub, send Fredo off to entertain the senator, um, which in part two, you get to see that he is actually quite good at when right. they are in Havana. He is very, very good right. at yeah. entertaining people and making them feel like, you know, you should really do business with our family. Right. Uh, but he is constantly plagued with uh, sort of kind of an ideal of being emasculated, it seems to mm-hmm. me. And also, he's 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 Michael's older brother. Mm-hmm. Michael's exactly. the one that takes over, yeah. and there's a little bit of Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Very much him. so. Yeah. yeah. Fredo, what's the name of the 
actor's name who plays Pharaoh? Uh, John Cazale. Apparently, every movie that he ever starred in was nominated for a Best Picture award. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was only he. I think he was only in five films. They're all films that people have heard of: Dog Day Afternoon, uh, both Godfathers, Deer Hunter, Deer Hunter, um, and then another one. I don't remember what the other one is. Um, uh, but he uh, was a heavy smoker who got cancer and died at the age of something like 36 or 37. Wow. He yes. died very young. He was actually uh, dating and living with Meryl Streep, uh, oh. and Meryl Streep was the one that took care of him when he died. Oh, wow. Well, that's interesting. Isn't that crazy? Uh, heart type for me. I think the bit, the bit, the so much emotion and desire to be loved coming out of this character. But, um, as we, as TJ kind of referenced, seeing himself in the opinions of others seems to me to be a big part of this, uh, this character. I think Freya is the hardest to type. I think you could go with two, three, four or six. I consistently land on two, but what are your thoughts on, on Fredo's type? Yeah, I agree that he is very difficult to type because I, we don't spend very much time with him alone. Uh, it's like that one phone call. And even that, that is not about him. Mm. It's, yep. Um, like it, it's, he's really difficult to, to place on this, this typing because we don't necessarily see what's behind his stuff, which actually kind of helps lend a little more, a little more weight to me thinking that he is actually a three, mm-hmm. especially because we're surrounded by people who are intelligent and capable. And like the threes that I know are all really successful in the work that they do. And, and they're very competent people and I just, I don't know any incompetent, dumb threes, but I think Fredo might be one. It, it, he's just, he's not that intelligent. He makes a lot of mistakes and he, he's just, he's, he's like, he, he's the Fredo of the family. He's, he's yeah. a little bit of a screw up. And I think if we apply that to the three lens, then, then we see someone who is trying to be a good member of the family. Like the, the role that he is supposed to be filling is as a dutiful son, and he's trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And how he does that is by adapting to every situation that they put him in. He's not very good at a lot of them, but there are some things that he is really, really good at. And so like he's not a good bodyguard. He just sort of <laughs> like watches his father get shot <laughs> and like he fails at that, obviously. But but when they sent him to a place where he he doesn't have to do something that's that requires that that level of expertise, he's actually very successful in Las Vegas. He's very successful schmoozing the senators and the the, the higher ups. Like mm-hmm. he's yeah. very good at being the type of person who knows how to entertain. And I think there's a lot of good threeness you can see there if you specifically think about him as being just an incompetent three. It's a good line. My, my take for two would be that he gets really animated and stress is what I see. And he consistently is kind of talking about being taken advantage of when he gets pushed into those spaces. Hmm. And I think that might be my only argument really. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, I also want to speak to, uh, he is accidentally duplicitous in a lot of ways. And and again, that's, that speaks to his incompetence, but I, I, his downfall. Yeah. I'd have a really hard time going with him as a, like someone like a six or, um, or even even moving into like there's there's the, the sort of aggression in pursuing these these vices that he like 
he's banging two cocktail waitresses at a time. Like there's there's some sevenness there as well. But I don't think sevens are going to be accidentally duplicitous. Yeah. I think he, a seven would be much more intentional about how they lie. And and I don't think Fredo. I think Fredo just keeps screwing it up. Right. Strikes me as a very but doesn't seem like he has a lot of self confidence for a three. Yep. However, he's a, a very snappy dresser. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the those those outfits are See, are once he gets out of the house. Yeah. He is a very confident person. Yeah. When he is not surrounded by his brothers, his right. confidence is able to come out. Oh, that's a good one. Bang! Last brother is Michael. Uh, what's the skinny on Michael? Michael is the uh, is ends up becoming the heir to uh, to Vito, and uh, he is completely ruthless, duplicitous. In fact, that is the trait that uh, Coppola um, uh, says is most prevalent in his character is is ruthlessness. Um, he will do whatever it takes to get what he wants. He is also incredibly intelligent, incredibly smart, understands people. Um, I think that Michael really sees himself as being truly worthy of as be, of being the heir to his father, that he is carrying down the tradition and the legacy that his father left in this world, mm-hmm. that he has not perverted it. Although most outside viewers looking at it will say he's completely perverted it. He's, you know, the Vito would never be this ruthless or, mm-hmm. or, uh, or duplicitous. Um, but there is an interesting deleted scene from uh, part two that was actually just re-released in this 50-year anniversary where uh, uh, Sonny's daughter wants to get married. And so she has to go, the, the, the boy that she wants to marry has to go to Michael to get his blessing because obviously they can't go to Sonny. Sure. Um, and Michael is asking him, you know, how are you going to support my, my niece? And, uh, and I think even goddaughter, I think he says goddaughter. Um, how are you going to support her? And he says, well, I, I go to college for fine arts. And he's like, well, that you can't support her on that. And then he says, well, I'm ashamed to say that I'm also a major uh, stockholder in, in the family corporation. And Michael immediately jumps on that and says, don't be ashamed of your wealth. That's just mm-hmm. a trick by act, like the old rich people to try to make you know, young people feel bad about you know, getting money. There's this level of which he, it's almost like he's, speaking for his father of mm. there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. Mm. You know, that's just a trick of the old guard trying to keep impoverished people down. Mm. Um, so there's, there's a, there's an interesting thing with, with him there where he, I think he still sees himself as almost as his father in a way. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a lot about what the second movie is about. Yeah. And, and like showing, showing the two of them in a way that shows that Michael clearly sees himself as the continuation of Vito mm-hmm. and also showing how wrong he is. Yeah. yeah. Played by the great Al Pacino. This is arguably the greatest acting performance ever. Uh, the, these two movies and mm. in, in, especially in, in terms of movies, not like long form storytelling, uh, a, lot, a lot of recent stuff. I think it's been, you know, like Breaking Bad and the rest have, have some folks who are now in the running, but I don't know. Al Pacino, I think is simply incredible in this and it just stands up. Uh, both TJ and I land on five for, um, Michael Corleone and many people will type Michael as a eight. If you go to our villain series again, you'll see exactly why we think 
Michael's a five is yep. because being so self-confident, having so much insight into other people, he moves into security and he does so in a villainous way by the end of the film. And a lot of the power um, that you, you uh, the desire for control that you might see in an unhealthy eight materializes in this unhealthy five who's very secure. So what yeah. do you think about fives and, and Michael's character? I want to, I, I, I think all of that is true. And I, I want to specifically draw a line in between part one and part two, because I think Michael as portrayed in part one is a, is a very sympathetic character. And Michael as portrayed in part two is not at all sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And I think that in part one, we see a very secure five moving to eight and, and bringing out his ability to take control. Mm-hmm. And then in part two, we start to see what, an, what a villainous five moving into eight space looks like. I don't think that the villainy is necessarily upfront at all in part one, right. and except for in his conversation with Kay at the very end, mm. where he very clearly says, I'll give you this one chance and I'll tell you the truth and then lies straight to her face. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. The, in your mind, is the is it the baptism of fire, the the killing of the bosses? Mm-hmm. Is that a villainous act? Is that a retributive? See, that is a moment where he can now go one way or the other. Yeah. Because a, an appropriate, observant, very calculating person who is able to see the bigger picture, because mm-hmm. that's what he is. He's able to see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. He moves into this position of power and knows that that this is what has to be done in order for anything to move forward. Right. Barzini is the real problem, but everyone else is complicit. And if I am going to truly take over as the head of this family, then I have to make a big play. I have to make a very big play or else no one will ever respect me the way that they did Vito. And so this is a moment for him to, like, this is the thing that has to be done. And yeah. moving into the eighth space, I will do this thing. Yeah. I will take control and I will do the thing that nobody else is willing to do. Coming and, out of his mind for the game, yeah. not out of aggression. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's the moment where he can move in one direction where it's like now he's the head of the family and he can take the family business legit like he said he was going to or he can become who he is in the second film right mm-hmm. yeah you got thoughts on that well i think that's also important to remember too that you know this wasn't the 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 killing of the other uh, the bosses of the other five families it wasn't just him that was coming up with this it was also vito you know it was yep. him and vito yeah. sitting in the garden drinking wine coming up with this plan of how to win the war how mm-hmm. are we going to win this war um, and what I would be interesting, interested to know more about, and of course we're never going to know, um, is obviously they have this plan to, okay, once the, the five families are taken care of and we're the only ones left standing, we are going to move to Nevada. Mm-hmm. We are going to do all of these things. But of course, Vito dies. And so what would have been the plan had Vito lived in that space? Is there still going to be 
the plan to try to, you know, take over, you know, be a part of the Cuban government, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, and all of this, you know, would you be, you know, murdering prostitutes in, uh, while a senator is in the room yeah. to, in mm-hmm. order to blackmail him? You know, it's just some of these things. And I, I think this is, this is part of what Vito has that Michael doesn't, and that's a heart. Right. Like, the, this is also, the, Michael as a five- it, it and especially moving into unhealthy eight space like like there's there's no feelings involved in yeah. what he's doing like he he is so detached from true connection right. and like this is part of why he loses k this is th- thinking about the fact that he gets married and like he meets he he leaves the woman that he's supposedly in love with meets some stranger and gets married to her and then she dies, and he goes back to the girl. All in the course of just a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there's, there's no real connection with his true emotional center here. Mm-hmm. Right. And Vito represents that. Yeah. If Vito had stayed alive, I think Michael might have gone good. Uh, yeah, I mean Vito. I think it's important to remember that obviously throughout, you know, Vito's time in power, he is doing things that are reprehensible, just like right. Michael is doing. You know, yeah. they're, they're still they're. You're operating in the criminal underworld. You know, you're going to be doing bad things. But obviously the one thing that, and I think Beto says this throughout the film, the one constant that he has is his family and how he, the love that he has for his family is real. Mm -hmm. It is very true. It is very unwavering. And Michael doesn't really seem to have that, which is why it's so easy for Fredo to betray him, even though, you know, Fredo is so stupid about it yeah. you know he's you know there's something in it for me they just said you were being hard on the negotiations right. i didn't know they were going to kill you right you know or try to kill you but even still he's stepping away i mean tom he, he's so cruel to tom towards the end yeah. of the first film and, and throughout the second film even though he makes him the acting don right he loses Kay. he loses his relationship with his children and so much of the death of Michael Corleone, the part three film, is him re- recognizing now that I'm retired, I have nobody left. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have run through everyone. Yep. And so he doesn't have that. One other thing I didn't re- realize, there's so many rhymes in this uh, story, but the second movie is about both Vito and Michael immigrating. And uh, as you were talking, I was like, oh, it's an immigration story. He's going yep. to Vegas. So, so anyway. Total side note, but I, I like those. I like those uh, parallels. All right, you ready to get into these scenes? Yep. Yeah. All right. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna run through the twenty best scenes. Love, love, love this intro. Uh, the introductory scene and the five family scenes are, in my mind, just top ten for me. And uh, this is what. Well, Kieran, what's the first line of this movie? I believe in America. Come on. I believe in America. America has made my fortune. And I raised my daughter in the American fashion. I gave her freedom, but I taught her never to dishonor her family. She found a boyfriend, not an Italian. She went to the movies with him. She stayed out late. I didn't protest. Two months ago, he took her for a drive with another boyfriend. They made her drink whiskey, and then they tried to take advantage of her. She resisted. She kept her honor. So they beat her 
like an animal. When I went to the hospital, her nose was broken. Her jaw was shattered, held together by wire. I, I went to the police like a good American. These two boys were brought to trial. The judge sentenced them to three years in prison and suspended the sentence. Suspended the sentence? They went free that very day. I stood in the courtroom like a fool. And those two bastards, they smiled at me. Then I said to my wife, for justice, we must go to Don Corleone. Why didn't you go to the police? Why didn't you come to me first? <laughs> We're going to talk about two power structures. There's the power structure of uh, the United States and all it represents. And, and uh, the second movie, you know, you're, you're going to start with seeing Lady Liberty in the, in the Haba. And here, there's a second power structure. And that is who the Godfather is. And it's my people. It's protecting my people. And the currency is different. We've known each other many years, but this is the first time you ever came to me for counsel for help. I can't remember the last time that you invited me to your house for a cup of coffee. Even though my wife is godmother to your only child. But let's be frank, you, you never wanted my friendship. And uh, you were afraid to be in my debt. I didn't want to get into trouble. I understand. You found paradise in America. Had a good trade, made a good living. Police protected you and there were courts of law. And you didn't need a friend like me. But uh, now you come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask with respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder, money. You ask you for justice. That is not justice, your daughter is still alive. Sonny's there, Tom's there, but Vito's the primary. Yep. Just a magnet of energy the, here. This scene to me is, is establishing in a, as firm a way as possible without rubbing it in our faces that Vito Corleone cares about connection. Mm -hmm. He's, he's, he's not mad that this guy is there on the day of his daughter's wedding. He's not mad that this is a stranger that this, this is essentially a stranger to him who didn't like, he's not really mad that he didn't come to him first. He's upset that even though his wife is godmother to this guy's daughter, he was not called Godfather. He's upset that there is not a connection and you're asking me for a favor, but you didn't, you don't call me a part of your family. And Vito Corleone is all about family. How much shall I pay you? And again, you see what Don Corleone cares about. He turns away from him. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? If you'd come to me in friendship, then the scum that ruined your daughter would be suffering this very day. 
And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then he would become my enemies. There's deep relational connection here. Yeah. And then they would fear you. And then he turns. And in the movie, you see him, like, cower. His head goes down, and he says, Be my friend, Godfather. Corleone then shrugs. He gives his hand to him, and Bonacera kisses the ring on it. And Corleone says, Good. Places his hand around him, kind of moves him out of his office. Someday... And that day may never come. I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But uh, until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. And Bonacera leaves. It's all personal. It's, yep. it's not business, necessarily. Everything is personal. You came to me on my daughter's wedding day to, to ask me how much it would cost for me to murder someone. Mm-hmm. We need to back up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and knowing that the tradition is that I cannot refuse you. Right. Yeah. The tradition is I cannot refuse any request that's made on the day of my daughter's wedding. Right. I'm really curious if that was made up for this book movie. I, I you don't know, know. Or if that's like a real thing. I have no <laughs> idea. But, but it yeah. works really well. Dude's waiting yeah. for it. I, I I miss the fact that she is abused by American boys and then abused by the American justice system. And one of the things that I think is a great little t- uh, uh, image here is her mouth is wired shut. And we somebody, see somebody else's mouth wired shut later. And it's the undertaker's daughter. It's Vito Corleone's own son, Michael, who's going to have his mouth wired shut. And American justice obviously is going to be a big part of that in terms of his relationship to, well, it's the, shoot, it's the, you know, the chief of police or whatever that, that beats him in the mouth and just showcasing race in America and, uh, just done brilliantly in this, in this scene. Move to the second scene. Uh, as was said before, there's, there's a lot of introductions of new characters. And so we see Michael and building on the theme of, a, of America, he is in a world war two uniform coming back home. Um, he is with a woman, Kay. Uh, we'll talk some about Kay, um, but I want to just put out all my cards on the table. I think Kay does represent America. I think that's what kind of her, I think she's more of a, a symbol throughout these movies than she, the, she's a great, I mean, Diane Keaton's a fantastic actress. She does amazing in these films. I think she's really, that character is really there to showcase the relationship that Michael has with America. They start talking about all the happenings and Michael's relationship to his family and some stuff starts to come up in terms of stories that may be uh, not as pleasant as you might like. I also think that Kay is uh, the audience. Mm -hmm. Like like Kay Kay is our window. Yeah, it's an entry point for us. As as a narrative device, she's the one who needs, needs to know things in order to understand what's happening just like the audience. She sees him mumbling to himself over in the side. This, by the way, is a huge assassin who's waiting to talk to Vito. And Michael's going to tell a story about leverage. Please, Michael, tell me. My darling, until I saw you. When Johnny was first starting out, he was signed to this personal service contract with a big band leader. And as his career got better and better, he wanted to get out of it. Now, Johnny is my father's godson. 
and my father went to see this bandit. And he offered him $10,000 to let Johnny go. But the band leader said no. So the next day, my father went to see him, only this time with Luca Brazzi. And within an hour, he signed a release for a certified check of $1,000. How did he do that? My father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. What was that? Luca Brazzi held a gun to his head, and my father assured him that either his brains or his signature would be on the contract. That's a true story. I think it's a really important scene. I think it's a, a scene that after witnessing how he does business in his study, not three minutes earlier in the film, to show, you know, it looks like he's just sort of this, maybe kind of this gracious sort of grandpa in a way, who's, yeah, he's scary and he knows yeah. people and he knows how to be persuasive and he'll take care of people that do bad things, like these boys who beat and raped an innocent girl. Um, and who, you know, did not receive justice. But the, he'll also, he'll do anything for the people that he feels like he can curry favors for him. Yeah. yeah. So just sort of both sides of that, and uh, I, of I, that coin. I think it's also really important that this scene is, is the, this story is, is to me the, the first place of many that showcase that Vito Corleone does not want to rule with an iron fist and he is an extremely reasonable person who wants other people to be reasonable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let my godson out of this contract and I'll give you $10,000. You say no, that's fine. I'm not going to ask twice. Yeah. You'll get a thousand dollars. You'll get now pennies you get, for it. Yeah. Or, or you're, you're going to die. You're going to die. I, mean, I think that that comes up over and over again is that Vito is going yeah. to offer the reasonable option first. And when people are unreasonable, that's when he is like, okay. Right. Another, uh, uh, another example of this is in part two, when you're watching him come up, he's kind of started to establish a name for himself. And the, the elder woman comes to him with, uh, you know, I got kicked out of my apartment because I have mm -hmm. a dog. Mm -hmm. um, and Vito goes to the landlord and says that he, he'll pay for her uh, uh, next six months of rent. Yeah. And I think even add on a, an extra hundred dollars for the dog, and the man is is just totally offended. Like, who do, who the hell do you think you are? And all Vito says is, "Why don't you just go walk around the neighborhood and ask people who I am?" Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sure, not I mean, not two <laughs> hours later, here he comes, uh, and, and uh, Vito gets him to basically. I, I think he takes ten dollars a month off the rent. Yeah. He doesn't get any of that, any of that uh, advance money. Yeah. But, but now he's basically going to have to let that woman live there for free. Yeah. With the dog that he didn't want living there. Yep. And that's his entire. That's entirely how he is going to do that side of his business. Yeah. Is I'm I'm going to make you. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to make you an offer that you shouldn't refuse, and then I'm going to make an offer that you just Can't cannot refuse. refuse. Yeah. yeah. That works out for my benefit. Stellar leverage there. You, yeah. it's there's a ton of pressure up front, and you should take the sensible offer because I will push hard on the next rent. Yeah, yeah. So, and we see that with Michael and the senator at the beginning of the next movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I also think that that this scene, that the Michael telling Kay this story is a really important window into um, how Michael sees his family and also what, like how he wants the story of his family to be told. So, so viewing him as a five, he's, he's not, he's not embellishing. He's not lying. He's like, he's telling this story in a very like detail oriented kind of way. He's not crafting a narrative here. He's saying exactly what happened. And like the, the points that he's making are about, you need to understand who my family is. Mm -hmm. Right. And the story that he tells is that, that they threatened the band leader not that they killed the band leader. I'm sure there's several stories that Michael could have told about Luca Brasi that, that would include the murder of untold people in power. Like, right. like the, this is one of the things that comes up uh, later in a conversation with Michael and Kay is that, that powerful people don't have people murdered. Yeah. And Michael says, you're being, you're just being naive. Michael doesn't tell her a story about his father murdering someone. He tells him a story about his father bringing Luca Brasi along to threaten someone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like the, the way that Michael sees his father, I think is really important yeah. right, and comes out here. He is, here's the five side, I think, is he's observing, learning, and he will use those same tactics, skills, and even enhance them. Yeah. You have a horse head on one front, you have a dead prostitute when Michael takes yep. control. It's a, it's, there is less care for humanity in Michael's act. Yeah. The other thing, and I, I meant to mention it before, but I thought one of the most cutting lines of the second movie is his conversation with his mom about how nobody loves him the way that they loved his dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. really is a window into things. However, in this scene, Tom comes up super excited to see him, lavishing love on him and that he's returned home. Fredo, same story. Um, and the, the, the love actually is really here. And even from his father, when they take the photo, where's Michael, we can't take the picture without Michael. Mm-hmm. And so at the outset, Michael has actually all the things that he might want. He's got romantic love. He's got familiar love. He's probably on a good path. Yeah. Breaking bad story. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, <laughs> One of the things that I also just put together too, in talking about the, the, um, the distinction between, or maybe not, or lack thereof, of Vito putting the uh, filmmaker's horse's head in his bed and Michael killing a prostitute or sal- sending Al Nier to kill a prostitute, mm-hmm. leaving it in the bed of the senator, is the horse head, there's just this, there's a heavy handed implication that if you don't do what I want, things are going to go bad for you. Mm-hmm. Right. With Michael, it is, I have literally entrenched you in a murder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you can't, there is no getting out of this. There is no sort of, you know, I can maybe finagle my way around this. You are in my pocket now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no matter how, you know, Tom says it to him when he's talking to him about it in the room, you know, you're just so lucky that, you know, my brother Fredo runs this place. Mm -hmm. You know, we couldn't have helped you. Right. Let me help you. Right. You know. All that's left is our friendship. It's still the, the, the difference there of, you know, of killing a horse and killing a woman and implicating you in a murder yeah. is yeah. so severe. Yeah. So, and, and speaks very clearly to like Michael's disconnection from his, that again, that emotional center and also understanding that 
that like the 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 finesse the 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 thing that Vito had was mm-hmm. his ability to enmesh himself in a way that was endearing. Right. He didn't kill the band leader. He didn't kill the movie director. He he got the movie. He got these people to do things for him in a way that that curried favor, right? As that's opposed to control. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yep. an enslavement for the senator. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, last thing on this one is the the throwaway line, but I think it's so choice is Michael saying that's a true story. Yeah. And the last thing he does to Kay is lie. Yep. And the, those are the bookends, I think, of that character for that first movie. And mm-hmm. it's just super well composed. I also think, too, what I think is interesting about this scene is juxtaposing it with another scene that is very similar in which he tells the story of how Tom Hagen became his brother. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. just sort of these two sides of this coin, like, you know, Kay gets this one story first about, you know, oh, Tom Hagen, you know, why does he have the, why doesn't he have the same last name? This story about, him taking him out of the cold and raising him as his own. Mm-hmm. And then five minutes later, it's the same there. I mean, they're at the same table, yep. same situation. And then you get this story just sort of really kind of reinforces who Vito is as a person. I think I did also want to say that, um, probably my favorite little piece of trivia from this whole, like the, all of the stuff that I've looked at the last <laughs> few weeks is the Luca Brasi sitting there rehearsing his, his yes. the, because that actor was so intimidated to work with Marlon Brando, he kept screwing up his lines with the speech that comes later. So they filmed him rehearsing it yep. and to just leave that part. I am honored and grateful that you have invited me to your home on the wedding day of your daughter. And may that first child be a masculine child. I love that that they just wrote that into his character. Which works beautifully because uh, in the story and in the books, they spell this out a lot more. The only person that Luca Brasi is scared of is Don Corleone. <laughs> Which is perfect. It's the, Literally, yeah. he's the only person in that, in that universe that he is scared of. It does show you, we haven't mentioned Francis Ford Coppola, but just uh, some of those sorts of stories when you hear how he overcame difficulties or especially how he wanted to use natural elements uh, when things were kind of at their worst, he would he would start rolling the camera. So there's like a there's a snowstorm in one scene, and it's like no, this is when you go. You got to go when when you have nature making things tough. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that that element of these films. I haven't also mentioned Paramount did a fictional retelling of the making of the Godfather called the offer, which uh, was just released a few months ago. I really enjoyed it. Did, did you say that you'd gotten the paramount? I unfortunately have not watched it yet. I have seen many scenes of it though. Not tremendous, but a very enjoyable cast. I thought, I thought it was great popcorn, but it had Mm -hmm. like all the stories that you've heard that are of of that sort. You know, they certainly, the cat, the, Mm -hmm. and the rest they're, they're all in there. Um, Lou Ferrigno, who you will know as the bodybuilder who played uh, the Incredible Hulk uh, in the 70s yeah. movie, he plays Luca Brasi in, in the offer. Awesome. <laughs> really? He's yes. really good oh, as that, that character. That's awesome. So next scene, the only scene that I have that's not of our five characters, but it's I think this is a veto scene with no veto, is uh, Tom going out to California to talk to Waltz. Mm-hmm. Um, so we already kind of hit it 
but and even the the veto elements. But I I want to elevate Tom's nineness in this space. We we talked about Fredo escaping and becoming his three self when he's not in the family, and perhaps that could be true of Tom as well. Outside the confines of the family, very even keel. Very much uh, a character who can see what other people need and desire and meet them in those spaces. Um, even while this man is spewing racist profanities at him and his family, just takes it in stride. Hey, I'm Irish German. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, my crop McFriend. Right. Walt's the, just such a despicable character. Yeah. Just tell him he should ask me anything else. But this is one favor I can't give him. He never asks a second favor when he's been refused the first. Understood? You don't understand. Johnny Fontaine never gets that movie. That part is perfect for him. It'll make him a big star. I'm going to run him out of the business. Let me tell you why. I mean, he's got two or three minutes. It's better than Alec Baldwin winning for for Glenn Gehrigan Ross in right. my mind. Right. His performance right here and his his story about getting messed over and how this woman left him for Johnny Fontaine and his olive oil singing voice. Johnny Fontaine ruined one of Waltz International's most valuable proteges. For five years, we had her under training, singing lessons, acting lessons, dancing lessons. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on her. I was going to make her a big star. And let me be even more frank. Just to show you that I'm not a hard-hearted man, that it's not all dollars and cents. She was beautiful. She was young. She was innocent. She was the greatest piece of ass I've ever had, and I've had them all over the world. And then Johnny Fontaine comes along with his olive oil voice and Guinea charm. And she runs off. She threw it all away just to make me look ridiculous. And a man in my position can't afford to be made to look ridiculous. Now you get the hell out of here. And if that goomba tries any rough stuff, you tell him I ain't no band leader. Yeah. I heard that story. And just how heartbroken he is, this 80-year-old, you know, just wonderful. Anyway, but Tom. Thank you for the dinner and a very pleasant evening. Maybe your car could take me to the airport. Wanting to make things peaceful before he leaves. Mm-hmm. That would well, be my take. And even going uh, back to that original conversation that they have on the studio lot, where he, Waltz is, is berating him, yep. you know, are you trying to muscle me? Um, and he ends it with, uh, by the way, I admire your pictures very much. Yes. Yeah. That's the, as he shakes his hand and you can see Walt's kind of befuddled by the entire interaction. Mm -hmm. You know, he comes into it with this very, like, like you're just trying to, you know, hustle me and, and, you know, try to threaten me. Well, you can't do that. I'm too powerful. Right. And of course, you know, Tom is just so, yeah, even keeled. And Tom still has this level of professionalism and this yeah. level of, uh, I'm doing my job. I'm doing what needs to be done mm-hmm. in order for, for the Don to get what he wants. So you got thoughts on the nineness. I hadn't I'm, thought about this, but are you trying to muscle me? Tom doesn't exude that. Right. But that's about control. Yeah. And he's there to con- to to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the there's uh, like 
all, all of these observations I think are, are really good. Like they're, they're accurate. Like Tom just sits there taking like the, the guy gets up and comes across the <laughs> table to yell at him closer. It, like it accomplishes nothing except that now Waltz is in his face. A man in my position can me and just like, to look ridiculous. Just calmly wiping his mouth and like just just he's very calm through mm-hmm. this whole thing. But the fact that he is so calm is is I know how I would react if someone like that was yelling at me. And like granted, right. I'm I'm not the consigliere for. <laughs> one of the most powerful <laughs> and dangerous mob bosses, but like I, I feel like a nine would would retreat and and would work really hard to smooth over that situation, mm. whereas Tom just lets it happen. Okay, and continually looks him in the eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like he just has his head down and is just eating, right? I mean, he it's almost like he's respectfully listening to him, right? And he even listening to him be incredibly offensive. Exactly. And even after uh, Walt says that, you know, uh, if he wants to try any rough stuff, tell him I'm no band leader. Mm. And uh, Tom giggles at it. I mean, he smirks. Yeah. Yeah. Tom has a flush and he knows he's taking this pot home Mm. no matter what happens yet. There is a sense of some security there. I don't know if that helps on the nine front. If you know that's you're going to win. And that's kind of the thing that it speaks to me is like, like Tom has a, a, his duty in this space is never to be confrontational. Mm -hmm. He is there to present information and like as, as the consigliere and as the family's lawyer, he is also, it is very important for him to keep his hands clean. Yes. In all situations. And that also means not, not reacting when, this guy is being incredibly offensive directly in his face. It is so important for him to keep his hands clean. Would on the six side, would a, I, I imagine a six would say, you realize that this ho- terrible, horrible thing is going to happen to you. Like that, that would just be on there. That would be like the first thing on their lips. Unless uh, only as like his, his duty is not to this guy. Oh, his I guess duty that's true. Is to, no to the dawn. That's true. And and I think I think from the nine side, mm-hmm. the nine wants to make peace. Mm-hmm. The nine doesn't want. If he was a nine, he he would try to sort of meet Waltz where he's at and and ex- like try to try to explain it to him from his own perspective. Yeah, like like you understand what's going to happen here, right? And, and like I I can't tell you that there's going to be a horse head in your bed, but. Like right. th- bad things, you you. This is a guy you can't deny, <laughs> and bad things are coming for you. Like like, t- I think a nine in that space would try to help Waltz understand the precarious position that he's putting himself in. Okay. Right. Whereas the six is only loyal to the Don. Right. Which is why there's only, I think, three lines that he says to him after that tirade. Right. Thank you for dinner and a pleasant evening. Yeah. Could your could you car, your, could your car take me to the airport? He's Can you do me off. that favor? <laughs> yeah. And then a threatening line, yeah. or sort of a veiled threatening line of, maybe your car could take me to the airport. Yep. Mr. Corleone is a man who insists on hearing bad news immediately. And sure enough, the next morning, there's his prized horse's head right is in his bed. So, filming facts just since you brought him up, day long shoot under hot lights. That's a real horse's head. 
And that it's dude, real. That dude had to be in that bed the whole time. Do you oh, know this? I didn't. I didn't know they, that. They totally got. Oh it. They they showed the story in the in the offer, and you know, there it's a guy coming with with a uh, you know garbage bag out of a pet food <laughs> factory. Oh <my> <laughs> like, wow. Scene number four. Actually, one thing I skipped was some of the sunny stuff that really was character building. The affair that he's having, the breaking of the FBI cameras, Vito telling everybody in the room. Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. That's clearly directed at his oldest. All that is kind of going on. Move to a wonderful sunny Vito scene. And this is showing you, again, the succession kind of image. There's a character, Salazzo, who is a heroin dealer. This is that new face of the mafia. We're moving into narcotics, and that becomes a big part of, of this story, is what, do we, what does the mafia do when drugs get involved? And this scene, Salazzo is spelling out what he needs in terms of help from the government, money, and Corleone answers real respectfully. I said that I would see because... I heard that you were a serious man, to be treated with respect. But, uh, I must say no to you. And I'll give you my reasons. It's true, I have a lot of friends in politics. But they wouldn't be friendly very long if they knew my business was drugs instead of gambling, which they regard as a, a harmless vice. But drugs is a dirty business. It doesn't make any difference to me what a man does for a living, I understand. But uh, your business is uh, a little dangerous. Vito is spelling out how he's going to get out of it, and apparently Salazzo says that he's going to guarantee any investments that are uh, put forward, and then Sonny jumps out. Oh, are you telling me that the Italians guarantee our investment? And the filmmaker really makes it a point to show everybody's disgust who's not Salazzo at the table with what Sonny has said. And not just what he said, but the fact that he has said anything at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the Don's meeting. It's, Don needs to be talking. Yep. Unless you are spoken to, you're not going to respond. I think that's important to remember as well. I also think it's important to remember that the Tatalias have guaranteed that they are, will support this business. Yeah. Which, and it's also implied uh, that the other f- families are okay with it as well. Right. This is the meeting, though, that will define whether or not that business will be allowed. Right. It is the Don's final, it is Vito's decision whether or not this business is actually going to take place. Has Vito been painted into a corner in that way? I think so. I mean, in, in, yeah. a, in a way. In I haven't a way. thought of that. No, well, and, and I think in once you get done watching the film, you realize, yeah, he definitely was painted into a corner. Yeah. Right. Because um, we know at the end that, you know, Bazzini and um, I forget what the other fictional family names are, but they were all very much 100% on yeah. board. We They're all pissed the off that yeah. we don't have the political backing that you do mm-hmm. in order to make this a profitable business. We can't do it unless you you are on board as well. Guy's back against the wall and his oldest son shows their hand. Exactly. And and really doesn't show he shows his hand. Yeah, there you he go. He doesn't show Vito's hand. Vito's hand is we're not doing this. This is a dirty business. Yeah. You can do it if you want to, but he also has that caveat of 
so long as your business doesn't interfere with mine, then we don't have a problem. But of course, if all, if the mafia, all the other families get involved in this business, it is going to impede on his business because he's going to start to lose political capital. Yeah. And we see that with things Tom says later. Yeah. But clearly Sonny is interested. Yeah. The totalities are going to guarantee the security on our investment. Like we're going to invest this money and if it goes down the tubes, they're going to, they're going to back it. You know, they're going to back that money. It also represents a huge dis it, it, the, the difference between what Vito cares about in running his business and what this, this enterprise represents, which we talked about earlier is like, like Vito, Vito is all about like the, the old, old school values and, like he's he's traditional Sicilian, and all of a sudden, all of these other dons are, seem to be caring more and more about how much money they're going to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that. I think is the like it shows it shows the family's hand. It it represents that Sonny is actually in a different mindset, but it represents that that there is not a unified front, and it also showcases that Sonny even if it's accidentally and like it wouldn't come to fruition, but Sonny is open to an idea that is completely against the Don's values. This is not about making money. Yep. It's about what's good for the family. Right. Two big things for me. One, the answer that Vito gives is very relational. Yeah. Like these people will think badly about what we're doing. And again, that's the currency. Yeah. Secondly, the never let anyone outside the family know what you're thinking is is the line. And that actually bleeds over into the second film with, in theory, like uh, Fredo going too far in terms of things he says outside the family. Mm-hmm. Um, th- just thoughts on why is that a value for, for uh, Vito that never let anyone outside the family know what you're thinking? I think it, it, it goes back to that family dynamic of we need to be a collective entity that there is one sort of mouth head of which I, that I operate, but that's how families are going to be broken down mm-hmm. is if is with factions divide and conquer divide and conquer. Ah, there you go. Yeah. 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 I also think it's, um, it, it is part of Vito's person. We, we learn in the second part that, that he didn't speak for the first several years of his life. Right. And, Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure, and sure. even, even De Niro's performance, uh, of him there's there's so much of him just sort of it's not actively listening it's it's this this concept that like people need to fill the silence if you if you just if you're having a conversation with someone you just sit there in silence if you're okay with it then it's so much more likely that the other person will fill that silence and it seems like this is part of how Vito operates mm-hmm. is that that he is not going to share his thoughts until he needs to and he's going to let other people fill in the space. Right. Yeah. And and like in particular the conversation with the landlord. Right. He he does nothing <laughs> to tell the landlord what to do. Mm-hmm. He says talk to these other people and then when the landlord comes in the landlord is the only one talking. Right. And and Vito just sits there. He just sits back and lets the landlord come to the conclusion that not only is he going to let this woman live there but he's also going to lower her rent and like like give the money back that, yeah. that he had already given to, and like it, the, this idea of not really sharing what's what you're thinking 
is also a, a layer of protection to make sure that nobody else is going to outsmart you. Mm-hmm. When Sonny shows his cards, it's not only going against the family, but it is also showing Salazzo where he might gain leverage. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it is. And we see this in the next scene because yeah. mm-hmm. in the next scene, Vito gets shot. <laughs> Fredo is crying over him. Michael finds out, goes immediately to the hospital. At the hospital, uh, fantastic scene shot by one George Lucas, by the way. Really? Um, Some of those hallway scenes. Comes out, and this is his first interaction with McCluskey and the cops, as well as uh, rival gangs. And then we move to a scene that's worth talking about for us. And this is Michael has come home. His jaw has been broken. Um, and all the family is together trying to figure out what to do. And so when everyone enters, there's an energy in the room. And again, Coppola shoots everybody's face except for Michael's. And Michael's in a chair, got the throne kind of imagery that's starting to sneak in, and and he uses that a lot. But a lot of this is the fight between uh, Tom and Sonny, yeah? Sonny, we ought to hear what they had to say. No, 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 no more. Not this time, Consigliere. No more meetings, no more discussions, no more Salazzo tricks. So let's talk about that, because it moves from Tom and Sonny, and then Michael, when it's Michael's turn to speak, he'll start speaking. So what do you see in the the Sonny-Tom interactions? One of the things that I think is really interesting about about this scene is that after the events that happen at the at the hospital, the war is full on. They they have gone to the mattresses. Yeah, there is a war. What is this metaphor? I don't know what Go, the mattresses so, means. So uh, it refers also to um, the the button men having button men. Uh, I think Sonny says we have a hundred button men on the streets, uh-huh. and it's basically when there would be a war, you would hire as many men as you could to just stand on street corners so that if you see who you know some higher up, you can just walk up and assassinate them. Well, in order to keep them all secret, they would rent out apartments and, and keep just fill, just them, with fill them with mattresses so that people could sleep on them. <laughs> so there's actually a conversation <laughs> about them going to pick up a bunch of mattresses. We need to. So the scene where uh, sure. yeah, um, with, uh, Paul. Polly is murdered, yeah. you know, um, they are going to look for From apartments <laughs> in Manhattan, <laughs> throughout Manhattan, so that they can put mattresses in them. Empty apartments filled with mattresses. Yep. And, and you actually see they throughout the like, the imagery of the war is a bunch of dudes without their shirts on hanging out in empty apartments. Playing the piano. A table and a yeah. piano and a bunch of mattresses <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. Going to the mattresses is is mob war. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the equivalent of like the barracks or yeah. the base or something like that. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. But I think what's what's interesting about it about this scene in particular is the the war is full on at this point, and the first line that Sonny has is this Tamanuch. like he is <laughs> in a, his yeah, element, right, like he right. could not be happier <laughs> yeah. about what is happening. Hey, a hundred button men on the street, twenty four hours a day. That Turk shows one hair on his ass, he's dead. <laughs> and you know, it's just I mean, he is bloodthirsty for Salazzo. Hey, listen to this. The Turk, he wants to talk. You got your imagine a nerve on his son of a bitch, eh? Craps out last night, he wants a meeting today. What'd he say? What did he say? But a beep, but a bap, but a boop, but a beep. He wants us to send Michael to hear the proposition. 
And the promise is that the deal is so good that we can't refuse. Hey. But also, this shows where Sonny is a bad Don. Yep. You need to have, if you're going to be in a time of war in this world, yeah, you definitely need to have somebody that is not afraid to, quote unquote, do what is necessary to win, but also you need to have somebody in charge who is also level-headed, which yeah. is why in the backstory to the first war prior to the events of this, of this movie, you have the Don who is still making the decisions and Sonny who's just out on a rampage. Right. So he can rein him in still. Tom can't do that. Right. Or Tom has trouble doing that. Well, and it, there isn't a, there isn't someone that Sonny answers to at this point. Exactly. He, as the person who's making decisions, he is entirely reactionary. Yeah. Tom is still going to be a good advisor, but it's still going to be, if, if Sonny says this is what we're doing, Tom has to be on board with it. Yep. What I see with Sonny at the eight is a lot of my way thinking. Mm-hmm. A lot of the energy is driving. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what damage I do. Yeah. yeah. We're going to get, we're going to kill that yeah. SOB. Mm-hmm. Tom is thinking through the business side, the let's calm things down. I think I, it, it may be worth talking about whether or not Tom would actually be the best successor to Vito. We see Mike, how Michael is the successor and where his story goes. I'm, I would be real curious to have that conversation at some point. But you see mm-hmm. some of ha, Tom's values at, at this point in terms of what Tom would have done. Yeah, just that back and forth, the, the pull of how are we going to do this. When Michael begins to speak, it's the tacticianer is beginning to speak. And he comes with both. We've been talking about loyalty, but this, like, Michael isn't really affectionate to very many people, but he loves his dad mm-hmm. and is very affectionate with it and very defensive of his dad. And that's the primary. It's how are we going to protect our father? You can't wait. Uh, can't wait. I don't care what Celeste says about a deal. He's going to kill Pop. That's it. That's the key for him. But then there's also the revenge element, yeah? Because mm-hmm. he does want to get back at the cop as well. But it's it's still all part of the same. Michael has the capacity to recognize that what I don't think Tom does, that that there is no moving forward if the cop is still alive. We can't kill Salazzo and not kill the cop. Yeah, and and we won't be able to kill the and because the cop is in Salazzo's payroll because of of the kind of power that he holds and represents. There, there's no way around this except for killing them both. Right. This, this is not, to me, this is not a vengeance moment. This is, this is the only way to get through this. I suppose that's, that's true because Sonny reads it as this is vengeance. Yes. And Michael then says, nope. Yep. This is the only way that dad survives. Right. Yeah. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. I think there's also, in the scene prior to this, right when they're, after he gets, or right before he gets punched by the cop, this is, I think it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it's very, very subtle, but for me, it's really the moment where the shift takes place from Michael not wanting to be a part of the business to him kind of, this is where the trajectory starts of him becoming the Don, and it's when Enzo the baker is trying to light a cigarette, and Mm -hmm. he can't, his hands are so shaky. Yeah. And then Michael lights it just perfectly, mm-hmm. and he looks at his hands and realizes that 
there's no shake. He is completely, perfectly calm, yeah. even though he almost just was in, he bluffed his way out of a, out of a gunfight. Yeah. Um, and so there's there, even though he's starting to become this practitioner, it's in that moment and following that moment, I think that he really, it, this is where the sort of calculating ruthlessness really comes in. He knows what he's capable of now. Mm-hmm. And you know. and moving to him as as a five moving into this is his, this is him moving into security exactly it's like yeah. finally I am going to offer you not only am I going to offer you what I see is the only logical correct path but also I'll I'll I will do what needs to be done yeah right yeah him giving orders to the nurse him giving orders to the florist mm-hmm. and then stepping into his family which has so much energy and you, you know who he converts is Tom. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sonny comes up and starts mocking him. Hey, what are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? They want to get mixed up in the family business. Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain. Why? Cause he slapped you in the face a little bit. Huh? What do you think? This is the army where you shoot him a mile away. You got to get up close like this. But a bing, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Come here. You're taking us very personal. Tom, this is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. He, when he starts spinning, we have people on the payroll who write newspaper articles. I bet they would like this story. I bet we could do this. I bet we could do this. And Tom is like, I, th- I think he's, he's right. a better choice. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it's it's the point in the presidential de- debate where you're like, mm-hmm. maybe the guy on the left is right. a little bit savvier. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Sonny can't see the bigger picture. Yeah. Well, and also Sonny doesn't care at that point. Right. All he cares about is we're on board to kill Salazzo and the cop. Yep. And I'm still technically in charge. Yeah. yeah. Self-confident. I don't, I don't not care. Not self-aware. Yeah. yeah. Even though that the move has been made. Yep. Clearly Michael is is the mover. Yep. He's the mover and shaker. I, I also really want to draw attention to uh, the dynamic between Sonny and Tom. Mm-hmm. I think it's really, really important because... Th- Tom is yelling at Sonny. Mm-hmm. Sonny, we ought to hear what they have to say. No, 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 no more. Not this time, Consigliere. No more meetings, no more discussions, no more Salazzo tricks. You give him one message, I want Salazzo. Oh, if not, it's all out war. We go to the Some of the other families won't sit still. They hand me Salazzo. Your father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. And this is the most animated that Tom gets in the entire story. It's also uh, like the only real moment of there's two people who yell at Sonny and it's Vito and Tom. Mm. And there's a brother dynamic there mm-hmm. that, um, that I think is really important. Like, like clearly these two people are brothers. That's great. I think that's a great, it's a beautiful dynamic here. And Tom sees himself as the consigliere, as, as, Sonny's brother, he sees himself in, in a in a space where he can be one of the people who yells at Sonny, whereas like nobody else would be able to get away with that. But also, I think I I don't think a nine would like speaking to like whether he's a nine or a six. Uh, I I don't think a nine would be able to sort of compose himself and and like keep yeah keep his his clarity. That he carries while he's yelling at Sonny. I think I think a nine, like the as the anchor would come out, would would just sort of lose it. But the six, like I've seen, I've seen eights and six argue, and this is very much that sort of combative, uh, like the eight who is naturally combative, and the six who is very comfortable pushing against 
like that like this is this is part of where the the devil's advocate idea, like the challenging of authority. And it's like, you are doing a bad job as a leader and I will challenge your leadership because you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And because they're brothers, he's actually able to yell at him in that way. On this, I, I see the same thing that the comp, the composure that, that Tom has is different from a nine in anger. The thing that mm-hmm. I see a lot with Tom is Tom is spelling out, here's all of our assets, here's all the things that are on the table, and he's making fairly decisive, we we should go this way and not that way sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on the not very six-ish side, that might be something worth wrestling with. Sure. Mm-hmm. And he, it, that's that's part of his job. That's That's his role. I mean, in a situation like this, would a six be that self-confident in their assessment? I feel like the family dynamic, they would want more of a, here are the things that I see, what do you think, fellas, posture? I think we see that in him with everyone except for Sonny. Okay. I think he is much more combative with Sonny because that's part of their dynamic. Yeah. I do think this is a scene that really needs to get highlighted as the best scene to say this this may not be a nine character. Yeah. Well, a lot of scenes with Michael that come up then. There's the assassination of Salazzo and the uh, Mikletsky. There is uh, Michael having to flee. There's a really actually tender moment between Michael and Sonny before he leaves. How long do you think it'll be before I can come back? At least a year, Mike. Listen, um, a square wood mom, you know, you're not seeing her before you leave. And uh, I get a message to that girlfriend when I think the time is right. It's again not very many people that Michael's really his heart comes out for, but I, feel, I think he really loves and shows his love for Sonny. Mm-hmm. Goes to the Italian restaurant, kills Salazzo and Mikletsky, goes to Italy, meets Apollonia. While he's in Italy, Sonny is shot and killed. Again, we kind of talked about how vengeance is really at the root there. The first time I saw this and the car blew up, I, w- I did not see that coming. Yeah. And that threw me way off. Yeah. And, uh, and the floodgate opening and the change that occurs in the character, obviously there's so much of Michael's tender side that seems to die with Sonny and with Apollonia, comes back to the States. I want to highlight the scene between Vito and Tom when yep. Tom has to tell Vito that Sonny died. And I think this is just... <laughs> these are two master actors. Very short scene. Just gorgeous. My wife is crying upstairs. I hear cars coming to the house. I think the area of mine... I think you should tell your Don what everyone seems to know. I didn't tell Mama anything. By the way, this is a good image of Tom's self-understanding. He's Tom Hagen. He's kind of, he's different in the family, but here it's Mama. And he's talking to his dad. His dad is even calling him this official title. But it's, I just like that there's, there's a language of affection here. I was about to come up and wake you just now and tell you 
But you needed a drink first. Now you've had your drink. They shot Sonny on the causeway. He's dead. <sighs> I want all inquiries made. I want no acts of vengeance. I want you to arrange a meeting the heads of the five families. This war stops now. I think he knows right now I'm going to kill everybody. One, and I had never thought about the fact that he's been painted into a corner before. And so there's those, those are two big moments where everything's starting to fall apart. These people are killing my family now and they're going to take over my business and the succession. And so there's just one move. But you don't know it as a viewer that mm -hmm. this is where we're going. And especially because it's I want inquiries made and no acts of vengeance. I want to have a peaceful meeting at a New York bank. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I love that move. Anyway, thoughts on this scene and these two characters. This scene should be remembered as one of the greatest scenes in film, but it's surrounded by the rest of The Godfather, so like, yeah. it sort of gets lost in that. But the 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 complexity of of the emotion coming forward in in both of them, and and the way that like Brando just, just the that second where the father has lost his oldest son but the dawn has business to do yeah right. mm -hmm. <laughs> like that 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 switch is 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 so it's beautiful and and tragic and like you can tell that like part of him just died and and you know that like no matter what don corleone is not going to survive whatever the events of this story are Mm -hmm. Because part of him just died. But he's going to get some shit done first. Right. I suppose another thing I hadn't thought of, but if you look at, I'm looking at the outline of the movie in front of me, he also knows that Michael's the only person who can take over mm -hmm. in this yeah. moment too. And that's heartbreaking for him, as we'll see in another scene. Yeah. I, like just his whole, his whole world and what he wanted, just boom, gone. I mean, in a, in, his, in a way, his entire life's mission, what yeah. he has been trying to do with this business is propel his sons to be, I mean, Michael in particular, to yep. be, you know, he says, I was hoping for Senator Corleone, Senator yeah. Corleone. Governor Corleone. Yeah. And so, and that can be no more because Fredo can't take over the business. Right. So. Mm. Well, Vito then says the war stops now. And then he had set up a favor. And now it's time to, to cash in, and he calls Bonacera. And with, in our recording on this, you'll have to say this. Like, this dude's been terrified for a year. Yeah. Or, you know, or two, or two yeah, you know, however long waiting it's been. Yeah. for Vito yeah. to call him yeah. to tell him what he needs. What were your thoughts on this? I think this is, this is another moment that... that I got to tip my hand a little bit because I'm, I'm slowly building a case for, for Vito as not actually being as bad of a person that he, he is portrayed <laughs> to be like, 
this moment is 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 so important, I think, in thinking about the character of Vito. And not not like not not the character, but like his his internal person, yeah. like who he is as a person. He stores up favors. It is not to it is not for control. He stores up favors because someday he's going to need to have an undertaker who is very good at his work mm-hmm. to take care of his son. Mm-hmm. Like they, like his favors are not all about doing bad things. It's he, he's a mafia boss, but he's, he's not, it's not entirely about control and murder and crime. It's also sometimes about relationships and mm-hmm. about love and about like needing someone who has a tremendous amount of skill to do something that is really important for his wife. Yeah, right. Like the 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 beauty of of this particular favor is very telling about who Vito is as a whole person. I think. The I think that's right. There's a, him cracking and saying, "Look at the mask with my boy." And he's being um, outwardly very emotional. This is the most terrifying man you know in town, and. Who easily could have used his favor to cover up murder? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like any other crime it's an story. Undertaker. Yeah. He he probably could pay this guy. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's to make him his son's body more appearable to have a open cask. Yep. Yeah. Funeral for his wife. Outsources his emotions there in some ways, where it's it's he's where twos um, shut down their own needs. What are the needs of my wife in this situation yep. that's coming out here as yep. well? Moves to, if somebody were just say, quick, what's the best scene ever? It's this next scene for me, and it's the me and the five families. It's almost all Brando. Uh, there's there's some there's some small spatterings of dialogue, but just mm. <laughs> just if you're not gonna watch the movie, go YouTube just this one scene. It's mm. I just find it. Just, I could rewatch this on a loop. Yeah. It's just so. Beautiful, but he is in this moment. We know after we've seen it a handful of times, he is setting all of these men up to be executed. And if you know that in the background, and then just watch what's going on in terms of just playing everybody in the room, how did things ever get so far? I don't know. We're so unfortunate, so unnecessary. I lost the son. I lost the son. We're quits. And if the tally agrees, then I'm willing to let things go on the way they were before. We are all grateful to Don Corleone for calling this meeting. We all know him as a man of his word. A modest man. He'll always listen to reason. Yes, Don Barzini. He's too modest. He had all the judges and politicians in his pocket. He refused to share them. When when did I ever refuse an accommodation? All of you know me here. When did I ever refuse, except one time? And why? Because I believe this drug business is going to destroy us in the years to come. Times have changed. It's not like the old days. We can do anything we want. 
A refusal is not the act of a friend. If Don Corleone had all the judges and the politicians in New York, then he must share them, all of others use them. He must let us draw the water from the well. Certainly he can present a bill for such services. After all, we are not communists. <laughs> Bonacera, Bonacera, why do you treat me so disrespectfully? It's again offering money to do business as opposed to making it relational. The movement here is away from the old ways of family, blood, relationship as currency, and we're moving to cash as the primary. But we'll remember how Vito reacted to that in the opening scene, that this is a sign of deep disrespect. I hoped that we could come here and reason together. And as a reasonable man, I'm willing to do whatever's necessary to find a peaceful solution to this problem. Then we are agreed. The traffic and drugs will be permitted, but controlled. And Don Corleone will give her protection in the East, and there will be the peace. But I must have strict assurance from Corleone. As time goes by and his position becomes stronger, will he attempt any individual vendetta? Look, we are all reasonable men here. We don't have to give assurances as if we were lawyers. You talk about vengeance. Is vengeance going to bring your son back to you? Or my boy to me? I forgot the vengeance of my son. But I have selfish reasons. My younger son was forced to leave this country because of this Salazzo business. All right, I have to make arrangements to bring him back here safely, clear of all these false charges. Notice the two denying something negative about a person that they love. But I'm a superstitious man. And if some unlucky accident should befall him, if he should get shot in the head by a police officer, or if he should hang himself in his jail cell, or if he's struck by a bolt of lightning, then I'm going to blame some of the people in this room, and then I do not forgive. But that aside, let me say that I swear on the souls of my grandchildren that I will not be the one to break the peace we've made here today. He's taking away their power. They clearly have leverage over him, and he just takes that leverage, puts it in his pocket, says, we're going to do this instead, moves it, gives them what they want. Yeah, but all of this by offering to be generous. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and he does this with uh, with the Don in part two as well, giving him the $100 yeah. so you can shoot him and take it back. Exactly. And it's some similar kind of move here. The next thing he does is hand off power. It's time to elevate Michael as the new Don, and things start to get shuffled and reorganized. Carlo gets elevated. You don't really notice it at the, the time. Tom is out. Is Tom? I want to talk about Tom being out. Tom's out a handful of times, and I have a theory about this, but why, why is it the case that he's consistently pushing Tom to the side? I think for, it, it's always a, a, a way to keep him clean in a way. Mm -hmm. It's always to keep him clean. Yep. He, 
and you know, Michael is is somewhat abrasive about it, especially mm-hmm. in this scene mm-hmm. um, about getting him out. Um, and Vito is much more gracious about it. Yeah. Um, but I think Don the uh, Don Vito and Michael both know how important really he is to the family. I mean, he yeah. is that is never lost on them. Not only just as a lawyer, but as a uh, a loyal uh, brother and son. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, as a tacticianer, yeah. as someone who can do, I mean, even I mean, on a greater scale, but like with Fredo, he has his role that he does very well. Tom has a role that is essential and integral to their business and, in, and to their plans. Mm-hmm. Tom is Sonny's only equal. But Tom is also Michael's only equal. Yeah. In that same kind of way. Yeah. And at this point, I think he's also trying to to keep another one of the he he's down one son, and mm-hmm. the one son that was supposed to be clean is now the head of the family. Yeah. So so he mm. I, I think there's there's at least some element of this is the way that I keep at least one of my sons clean. There right. you go. That's what when Michael is talking about making things legitimate. I th- that's where I think he's got Tom positioned. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I need you to be in that space so that, and we see this in, at the end of Godfather 2, is that Tom can stand up in front of Congress and say things with with authority and not be dismissed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he he loses a lot of his, not leverage, but but his his if his nose gets dirty, he won't be taken as seriously. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. You become uh, with the stereotypical lawyer who's working for the, the mom. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, it, when when Michael is in Italy and or Sicily or Sicily, when uh, Kay comes and wants to send a letter, mm-hmm. and Tom says, yeah. "Well, if I accepted that, in a court of law, they could prove that I have knowledge of his whereabouts. Now, you just be patient, Kay. He'll get in touch with you, all right?" And there's there's this this theme of like Tom has to keep his hands clean. Mm-hmm. And if the, the, if the plan for the family is that they're going to murder all of the other families and take over, Tom can't be there. He can't even be in the room. He should probably not be in the state because mm-hmm. then he can't be implicated. Right. Got some solid strategies for staying out of the chaos right there. It seems to me. That's not by his choice though. Oh, not accepting the letter. Oh no, that that's because he's a good lawyer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I also think, too, the level of duplicity that they are planning. I mean, not mm-hmm. only just with the murdering of the five families, but trying to find out who the traitor is in the family. Yep. Mm-hmm. And not just Tessio, but also knowing that Carlo yeah. sold out Sonny. I mean, yeah. they, they are doing, the, the, by elevating Carlo, by allowing Tessio to still be a huge part, of, be a capo regime. Mm-hmm. Yeah in the family while this is happening, there also just seems to be a level at which the only people that can know about this is Vito and Michael. Right. Yeah. And in order for that to happen, they, they have to make someone else. They, Vito has to be the consigliere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Britain's close and he's closer on some of that. I think mm-hmm. so. And they need to test the waters. The, the testing of the waters is something you see much more in the second movie mm-hmm. of I'm going to to really do the detective work, but here it is. You're elevating Carlo to get them. Okay, let's see what 
happened with you here. Right. Well, and of course, too, at this point, they don't know if it's Tessio or Clemenza. Yeah. So it could be either of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and that's what Vito says. When I'm gone, whoever comes to you with the meeting from Barzini, they're the traitor. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, later on, uh, after it's all said and done, Hagen says... I always thought it would have been Clemenza, not Tessio. It's the smart move. Tessio was always smarter. And that's the tactitianer again. Exactly. It's, it's, it's stellar. You want to go out to Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> Just walks in. Fredo reemerges. We haven't seen Fredo for a while. Didn't wasn't a good bodyguard. Perhaps you can deal a uh, blackjack. Right. Yeah. Run a casino. Run a casino. Gonna gonna learn the gambling business. Mm-hmm. Real good with uh, finding some ladies. And uh, he's setting up a meeting. I'm setting up a meeting because they, in order to get legitimate, they are moving out of New York City and all of the tensions there. Mm-hmm. We're going to go into gambling, apparently a great place to launder money. Have you heard <laughs> the stories of, there's a famous political figure who won't be named, but in order to get money from his father, his father would go in, dump $10 million on the table, take $10 million in chips, and just walk out the door and throw away the chips. That's how you move money. So they're waiting. Johnny Fontaine is there. This, by the way, Johnny Fontaine is based on Sinatra. Sinatra Sinatra is actually. So this is in the offer movie. This is a huge part of the story is how pissed off Sinatra is by (laughs) Mario Puzo's depiction of him. And he knows that you're just basing this character on me. And Puzo is apparently a huge fan. And so it's actually Sinatra who's the first one who's trying to sabotage the movie. Was it was it Columbo, the the Columbo family that I wonder if that was the case. Because Columbo was the mob boss that was so against the film. Yeah. That's I wonder if that is most of the story. Yeah. Is uh is of Columbo. Do you know who I am? Specifically, no, but with all due respect, I'm I'm Joe Colombo. I kind of run things around here. Well, Mr. Colombo. Call me Joe. Thank you, Joe. I got to admit, I've never been. Listen, Al, have a drink. Yeah, okay. If I wanted to kill you, you'd be dead already. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, you and me got a problem. It's about my movie. I think it's best if you hear me out first. Sure. Here's the problem. You want to make a movie that's going to make my people look like animals. And that ain't going to happen. So as a courtesy, I brought you here to ask you a question, man to man. What do you like more, musicals or westerns? Fred Astaire versus John Wayne. John Wayne. Uh, Yeah, me too. So stop what you're doing. Go back to Hollywood and make a fucking cowboy movie. One of the things that we see here and in the previous scene is that they don't love Michael the way they loved Vito. And yep. he doesn't have the currency. He's got the power. He's got power in a different kind of way. I mean, he can apparently command these the button men, the, the people, the faceless kind of thugs that he's got. Mm-hmm. But the, the people who are really the higher ups, they don't have the deep affection yet. Right. Well, it's it's, a, it's an awful lot like when Tim Cook took over for Apple sure. after Steve Jobs died. So like like 
like, yeah, Tim Cook is doing a great job, but for several years is like, well, he's just no Steve Jobs. And it's like, no, of course he's not Steve Jobs. Nobody is ever going <laughs> to be. Nobody will ever be Vito Corleone. Right. Period. Michael is different. And and like the the dynamic of relationships has to change. Yep. Yeah. I also think it's interesting too that there's <clears throat> there's really two scenes that have Johnny Fontaine in it. The first is the wedding scene. Mm-hmm. He has the the conversation with his godfather, yep. in which his godfather clearly will do anything for him. Right. And he feels that like he can go to his godfather and whatever he asks for, he's gonna get it. Right. And then in this scene with Michael as the Don, Michael gets him back into a contract not unlike the contract that Vito helped him get out of with the band leader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, immediately you see the shift, and you see it on Johnny Fontaine's face yeah. of this is this is not the same family that I thought it was. Yeah. Um, that you know now I'm locked into a, a ten year or ten show per year deal, and right. I have to go lobby with my other friends, and but of course he knows what he's in, and right. so of course Vito's I'll do I'll do Michael's I'll do anything. Yeah. I'll do anything for my Don. My Don, so, not my Godfather. Not my yeah. They play that. You can feel how they're saying the titles yeah. in terms of how the relationships work. Mo Green walks in. Mo Green, apparently, founder of Las Vegas, according to the uh, next uh, movie. Yeah. yeah, to Hyman Roth, yeah. Michael, here is the move. I'm going to pay you something fair, but when you don't accept my offer, well, I'll just put that in my bo- back pocket and you'll see what happens, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is exactly what Vito does. Yep. My credit good enough to buy you out? (laughs) (laughs) Buy me out. Casino. The hotel. Corleone family wants to buy you out. The Corleone family wants to buy me out? No, I buy you out. You don't buy me out. Your casino loses money. Maybe we can do better. You think I'm skimming off the top, Mike? You're unlucky. The Godfather is sick, right? You're getting chased out of New York by Bazzini and the other families. What do you think is going on here? You think you can come to my hotel and take over? I talked to Barzini. I can make a deal with him and still keep my hotel. He builds that. Now, there is a relational energy that enters the mix, and it's all about Fredo. Fredo becomes, here's the middle child. We're going to have this fight, and it's going to be about the person over there. Mm -hmm. Is that why you slapped my brother around in public? Oh, no, that, that, that was nothing, Mike. Now, now, uh, Mo didn't mean nothing by that. Sure, he flies off the handle once in a while, but, but Mo and me were good friends, right, Mo, huh? I got a business to run. I got to kick asses sometimes to make it run right. We had a little argument, Freddie and I, so I had to straighten him out. You straightened my brother out. He was banging cocktail wages two at a time. Players couldn't get a drink at the table. What's wrong with you? <laughs> That's my favorite line in yeah. this movie. And then he he goes and tries to defend Mo. Yep. And not only that, like there it is. Michael immediately is defending his brother, and in a pretty sinister way. Yep. That that look on his face is pretty scary. Yeah. Um, and immediately Mo goes around Michael to talk to Tom. Yeah. As the consigliere to talk to Vito, like he's the real Don. And of course Tom says, you know. Oh, I get it. Tom, Tom, you're the conciliary, and you can talk to the Don, you can explain. Just a minute. 
Don is semi-retired, and Mike is in charge of the family business now. Have anything to say? Say it to Michael. No, just a minute now. It says where things are at. Yeah, anymore. Michael is the head of the family, and then of course that yeah the next convers the next line of Mike, you don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that. Making yeah. the most out of his limited dialogue, that actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk to a man like Mo Green like that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the the contrast between Michael and Beto is so significant, and like like Michael's doing the same things as Vito but he doesn't understand what he's doing the same way. And so like, like I'm, I'm making you a very reasonable offer. And when you refuse the offer, something bad is going to happen right. to you. It's the exact same thing that Vito does. Also the, the vehement defense of the family, mm-hmm. like he, he's not, he doesn't kill Mo Green because Mo Green wouldn't do the deal. He kills Mo Green because Mo Green slapped around his brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His, his role now is to protect the family and by any means necessary and with an iron fist. Except that Vito took care of his family. Michael yeah. protects the family. Right. He, my, this routinely comes up in the second movie. Michael yeah. essentially saying, you can live here and have everything you want. Yeah. But that's not love. Right. That that actually is a different face of control is what it always feels like to me. Right. It's like, and and Michael doesn't understand why it's different. Like yeah. he 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 just he doesn't see the relationships the same way as his father did. Yep. The one person he's always reminding them of their relationship to him is Fredo. Fredo, you're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. He always sets up things with Fredo that way. It's like, let me remind you that, like, we, we're cool. We, we got this relationship, you know. But here's how things are, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to contrast that with uh, when Vito says the same thing to Sonny. Vito, who understands relationship, says, don't go against the family. Santino. Come here. What's the matter with you? I think your brain is going soft. From all that comedy you're playing with that young girl. Never tell anybody outside the family what you're thinking again. Mm-hmm. Go on. Don't let other people see that we are not unified. Right. And for Michael, the 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 way that he says this and, and the specific words that he uses is very much about presenting a fact. You were my brother. Do not go mm. against yeah. this family. Yeah. Not it's not about perception. It's not about the way other people see it. I don't think Vito cares if Sonny agrees with him or not. It's don't let other people see you disagreeing with me. Mm-hmm. Michael says, don't ever go against the family. And like there's 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 very much a, a disconnect from the actual relationship. Yeah. It's a presentation of fact. Yeah. I don't know if it got explicitly said, but that's the difference between the two and the five in that yeah. situation. Yeah. He returns from Las Vegas and then Vito and Michael have their last conversation. Again, sitting outside in the backyard, strategizing lots of very 
kind energy here with Michael, which doesn't happen very often in the mm -hmm. movies. Um, but he's very comfortable. He's in his element. He's deferential. And Vito is just telling him this is how things are going to go. And Michael sees the brilliance, knows he's exactly right, takes it all in. Yep, that's how that's going to play. So, Martini will move against you first. He'll set up a meeting with someone that you absolutely trust. Guaranteeing your safety. And at that meeting, you'll be assassinated. I want you to arrange to have a telephone, man. Check all the calls that go. You know, I did it already, Pop. You know, good man. I took care of that. Oh, that's right. I forgot. What's the matter? What's bothering you? I'll handle it. I told you I can handle it. I'll handle it. I knew that Santana was gonna have to go through all this. And Fredo, oh. Fredo was, oh. And I never, I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those Big shots. I don't apologize, that's my life, but I thought that... But when it was your time, that... that you would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Corleone. Governor Corleone, something. I'm not a person of Well... This wasn't enough time, Michael. Wasn't enough time. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. Huh. Now listen, whoever comes to you with this Barzini meeting, he's a traitor. Don't forget that. I think this is one of the good places where we get to see that Michael does have a heart um, because he, he really cares about his father in this scene. It, it's not just about the business. It's, it's like, like pop, what's wrong? Something's yep. bothering you. Like the, like there, there's a, there is, this is, this is one of the, the places where we really see Michael's heart come out and it's like, in in a good representation of a five, it is not super emotive. It is it is very much about like I am a safe space. You can share with like be real with me here, and like like let me be a safe space for you, mm -hmm. and I am going to take care of you. And also sort of glossing over the fact that his father is clearly entering into like he he's he's repeating himself. He's he's clearly deteriorating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Michael does not want to draw attention to that. He wants to be very generous and gracious 
in this space to take care. He really wants to take care of his father. And that this, this is to me, one of the most emotional moments that we see from Michael. Right. Also the, the reassuring nature mm -hmm. of, you know, clearly the Don is lamenting sort of what could have been. Mm -hmm. He knows that his life has come to an end and, there seems to be a level of, of, of regret that goes along with that, especially with the whole Senator Corleone, mm -hmm. Governor Corleone, and the last line of the scene being, you know, or, well, the Don first saying, well, there wasn't enough time, Michael, there just wasn't enough time, and Michael's saying, we'll get there. Yeah. And in particular, too, after the, I mean, you really don't hear a whole lot of conversation about Michael's son, Anthony. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is really the only time that Anthony is discussed in yep. the film at all. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that it's that that line is spoken in the context of, you know, how, how's your son? Do you mm -hmm. play with them? Do you spend time with them? Just sort of being able to see Michael really understand or trying to understand and trying to mimic his father and, and, and try to be who his father was. Mm -hmm. So succession, I suppose, if that's an undercurrent, just the question, are you happy with your family? And then hearing the story about how smart he is and they can read the funny papers and that is the one thing that really enlivens Vito. It's both relational, but it's also here's the future of exactly. my family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about it when we get to the next movie, but the fact that he is an orphan and all of his family has been killed, you know, and some of my kids will move on. Mm -hmm. We'll get there, pop, we'll get there. And then, uh, Vito's going to play hide-and-go-seek in the tomato patch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and death scene of Vito Corleone here with his grandson. Um, there's the funeral. There's the setting up of Tessio saying that uh, Barzini wants a meeting. Um, all of the pieces are in place just as we're foreseen. There's, there's a tension here. We're not exactly sure what to is going to happen, but we can see, it's almost like you can see somebody's poker hand, but you don't know how they're going to play it, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And, and then everything's being arranged for things to not go the way that, that Vito had said, but there's a baptism. And during the baptism, we see that, that fantastic montage of the heads of the five families being killed. Are they one of the five families? Would it be the four families? Yes, so there are five families total. Yeah. Of which the Corleone family is one of those. There's four, there's four, four assassinations. Other, yeah, there's four assassinations. Well, yeah. there's five with Mo Green. Yeah, that's I the I can't think of anybody else that would have been. Yeah, I think it's five. Throws Mo Green in there. One of the things that Coppola says about, and you, you can see this when you watch the whole, you know, the two films, is that every murder needs to have something that's unique and interesting mm. about it. So Mo Green, it's the glasses, yeah. um, you know, the revolving and, door. And the ever so slowly putting his head down. Yeah. <laughs> that is the one moment where I'm taken out of the film in a oh, significant really? way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Banzini on the, on the steps. Yeah. Stracci in the elevator with Clemenza and yeah. the shotgun. Tatalia's in having bed. A hard time getting up the steps. Yeah, Tatalia the pimp is. Tatalia is with a, with a with a prostitute. Yeah, yeah. And Cunio. Cunio, yeah, Cunio. is in the revolving door. Okay. Yeah. When Luca Brazzi gets killed, that that's a unique one. Mm -hmm. Knife through the hand, strangled. Uh, in the second I mean, movie, I I love like 
I, I, I don't love watching somebody get strangled, right. but but watching that actor portray yep. that moment it's is so beautiful. It's really good. You watch it, and it's almost like you feel like George Lucas stole it for Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or whoever directed um, the Total Recall. Just exaggerated oh. it when Arnold is <laughs> when Arnold falls outside and is losing oxygen mm-hmm. and his eyes bug out of his head. Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks. Apparently, there was some sort of chemical that they put on that actor's face that when you misted it, it would turn blue, and mm. so that's how they got oh. the effect oh, yes. of because it looks so it's real. So real, yeah, it really does look like, like he's getting really strangled. Really disturbing. I mean, his eyes kind of pop out of his yep. head a little bit. Yep. Great, Ugh. brilliant, yeah. Part two, and uh, it has the uh, the one that comes to mind is the shooting of the dawn, and that the you know the silencer is the towel that gets set on fire. Mm-hmm. It's just it's this murder, but there's there's something that that's really unique about this particular murder. It's, sure. it's a clever, clever tactic. Last scene, last scene with Tessio and Tom, and then the scene with Carlo and Michael. These are two different scenes, but I think they really highlight these are two men who are going to kill people that they've known for a while who, in theory, are kind of part of their family. I mean, mm-hmm. Tessio is, we, we see Tessio in Godfather 2. He's one of the three. He's the, yeah. You yeah. Know? He's a capo yeah. regime. And uh, what was the name of it? A capo regime. Yeah, so like just... Founding... Yeah, so there's like the the Don, and then there's the underboss, and then there's the Capos, which Capo just means captain. So uh, yeah, they're basically like, like his generals. His generals, but, yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, they're the founders of the Corleone family in a lot of ways. Tessio is in Clemenza, and plus Abe Vigoda. Mm-hmm. So. The boss says we'll come in a separate car. Says for you two to go on ahead. Hell, he can't do that. It screws up all my arrangements. Well, that's what he said. I can't go either, Sal. <laughs> I love the, the Tom comes up and says, hey, uh, we're going in different cars, and Tessio, hell, he can't do that. It screws up my arrangement. <laughs> Just, and then he realizes. Yeah. Don't mind it was only business. I always liked him. He understands that. Excuse me, Sal. Huh? Did Tessio like Mike? I mean, as, as much as you like anyone, like there, there's, there's, everyone does not recognize that it's all personal. It's all personal. There, there is yeah. no separating the business <laughs> from so the personal. True. Like they, they, they just don't know that. It's like, like you were one of the founding members of the family, yeah, and you conspired. To help get one of them killed. It can't be business. It can't no. be business, man. <laughs> That's right. You can't go against the fam. It's called a family. <laughs> I suppose Tessio is the one that hides the gun in the in the bathroom. It's mm-hmm. one of Clemenza's people. Or Tessio knew it is highlighted as knowing where to hide the gun. Yeah. He says yeah. there's the chain. He knew the, the restaurant. He knew yeah. the restaurant. Yeah. yeah. But I mean Tessio also took it personal earlier in the movie when uh, Michael has made the new Don, mm-hmm. and they have that conversation with Vito saying, Don Corleone, you once said that the day would come when Tessio and me could form our own family. Till today, I would never think of it. I must ask your permission. Well, Michael is now head of the family, and if he gives his permission, then you have my blessing. After we make the move to Nevada, you can break off from the Corleone family and go on your own. 
after we make the move to Nevada. Forgive me, Godfather, but with you gone, me and Pete will come under Barzini's thumb sooner or later. And I hate that goddamn Barzini. In six months' time, there won't be nothing left to build on. You have faith in my judgment? Yes. Do I have your loyalty? Yes, always, Godfather. Don't be a friend to Michael. Do as he says. I might be reading into this, but that also, like, I feel like Tessio's turn happens in that scene. Completely. Yeah. Clemenza just leaves and shakes Don Vito's hand. Tessio makes it a point to shake Don Michael's hand. Yeah, Michael's hand as well. Mm. Like, like Tessio specifically stands up and goes to Michael well, and to it, shake his hand. And of course, he leaves. Clemenza is pissed, obviously, but he remains loyal and is right. rewarded for it at the end because... He, he doesn't gets, know that they're going to assassinate all the other families. And right. so once they move to Vegas, he's the only one left. Right. Right. He's so the one that gets he's gets charge of the whole space. Of, yeah. of New York. He moves into the house. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I think Tessio realizes this is his opening to when Michael takes over and they decide on all of this stuff. Like Tessio decides this is his opening to sw- switch allegiances. Exactly. But he has to put on the face first. And I think in, in a way, too, that the, sort of this this family dies with Vito. It doesn't matter after yeah. that. This family dies with Vito. My allegiance dies with Vito. I do not have allegiance to Michael. Right. Yeah, real similar. Your family dies, you immigrate. That's mm-hmm. how things are going to work in that next movie. Bang. One, one thing we're saying here as well is that... I'm. As Fortune would have it, it, it's really great that the actor who played Clemenza didn't do the second film. I think that the Frank character uh, has... Pentangeli. The Frank Pentangeli character brings so much life into that, and I don't see... He didn't believe that Clemenza would have that character arc Agreed. That, that Frank has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that actor is just superb, who plays uh, yeah. Pentangeli. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't try to do that with Clemenza, because they... They'd, I think there's so much building of Tessio's there. Clemenza is part of things. Yeah. Like Clemenza is the one who explains how to make the the sauce mm-hmm. and like yeah. like actually talks uh, Michael through what to do with the gun. Yeah. And very uncleish. Yeah. Yeah. And very much in charge of muscle. Yep. I mean, it's not. There's not any strategy that's going along with yeah. Clemenza. Right. He's always just sort of a face in the back of the room. Yep. Until it's time to, you know, do the dirty work. Right. I mean, and that's kind of brought up even in the the first bonus set of scene, where after he agrees that he will give them justice. Uh, give this to uh, Clemenza. I want reliable people, people that aren't going to be carried away. I mean, we're not murderers, in spite of what this undertaker says. So. Yep. Um, whereas Tessio is much more cunning. Yeah. And we see that we see that even in, in part two as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Clemenza isn't the one, you know, Clemenza wants to pay. He wants to pay yeah. off Vinucci. Yeah, yeah. And Tessio is the one that's more, how are we going to do it? Right. You know, that's a good word. Last scene has Kay getting lied to her face, as was said earlier. Mm-hmm. Poor Diane Keaton. Door shut. There we go. It's first first act, perhaps. First part. Act one. Act one. Act one. <laughs> Or I suppose they have each movie has two acts as well. So maybe this is the end of act two. It's a four act oh, that could be. film. Yeah, that yeah. actually works. I think that works better. Yeah. Yeah. That's the end of act two. Last words on this movie? 
I have points to make once we get to <laughs> like really talking about part two, because uh, I think that uh, just the the difference between these two parts of the story are tremendous. I'm I'm really glad I got back into this film. Like, it, come on, I'm sad that I missed so much time. Yeah, it's uh, it's the greatest movie ever made. So if you haven't watched it, you should go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you haven't watched it and you listened all the way through to the end of this. <laughs> Fool. Yeah. <laughs> it was a foolish move. Yeah. <laughs> All you're hearing is Italian names that you have no reference point for. Yeah. For me, this is a top 20 rewatchable. I certainly think it's much higher than top 20 in terms of its greatness and its influence. And I'm presently rewatching Breaking Bad and Bear Call Saul and just all the influences for, for that, for Game of Thrones, for The Sopranos, and uh, for Star Wars. I mean, it's just all over our culture. And it, it it wove its way into the fabric of our culture in in such a significant fashion that I'm remember like as I'm watching these films I'm I'm realizing how many references I've seen to it in other places. Mm-hmm. It is all over the office. Oh yeah, all over the <laughs> office, and not just in the in not just in the obvious spaces. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 everywhere. This film is everywhere. I suppose it's. The last thing is there's kind of a happy accident in here. These are some of the most talented people in, you know, acting and directing and in cinematography and in music. And they all just stumble in and producing. They all just stumble into the same place at the same time with the, exactly the right script. And it's, it's just one of those things where you're like, that was a perfect storm mm-hmm. that you just don't. I mean, I can't think of many times that that happens in Hollywood. Um, tremendous. I mean, if you're creating a list of the the ten best actors and actresses yeah. of the last fifty years, James Caan, at least Robert half Duvall, of them are in this Keaton, film. Al Pacino, Marlon Brando. Yep. Oh wait, that's everyone. Yep. John Cazale, even. I mean, was only in five films, but they're all good. So. Then yeah, and then it's all royalty in the part two. Yeah, the mm-hmm. senator Hyman Roth, Frank. They're all. Just heavyweights mm-hmm. on their time. Yeah. It's good work. Big, big things going on for us. Uh, before you sign off, we rebooted our entire website. It's very much worth going to, aroundthecircle.org. We presently have a bunch of stuff going on there. We have uh, every other week, we have online events, which have been fantastic. 30 to 50 of us meet together online, talk Enneagram, throw out a topic. And that has just been tremendous. Don't know your type, or if you have friends who are trying to discover their type, we have a just a spot you can land, listen to what we got, and I think it really works well. And lastly, we categorized all of our podcasts according to level. So there's like beginner, intermediate, expert, and pop culture, which is where the, the four categories, <laughs> the four the four categories of levels. You have to have a high enneagram aptitude. To get into uh, Jurassic Park, I tell you what, we have to have something. That's what I got. Yeah, and stars. We always need stars. Stars and reviews. We haven't gotten any stars or reviews here recently. Do you realize this? Like nobody loves us. Well, in their defense, tell we me. have not posted an episode <laughs> in a very long time. <laughs> I got the Rona, and it just really derailed us. <laughs> he can't do that. It screws up my arrangements. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran, it was fantastic having you. Thank you for having me. So enjoyed our time. Had a lot of fun. Fun to record one of these conversations instead of just having it at work. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That's 
what I got. You got anything, TJ? I got nothing, man. He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. Who you aren't isn't interesting. And don't take things so personally. It's just business. No such thing. <laughs> now you get the hell out of here. And if that goofball tries any rough stuff, you tell him I ain't no band leader. Oh. This is a chopper!